evening, everybody. We're about to get started. We are returning from executive session. It is 6.05, and I apologize for the slight delay in getting back to you. We're having a great discussion in there. Okay, so uh, welcome to the school committee meeting of December 15th. We are now going to start with item C on our agenda, which is our superintendent's report. Thank you very much. Uh, first item is just happy holidays to our school community. Uh, this is our last meeting before we uh, head off into the break and have the new year. Lots of family time ahead, uh, a lot of celebrations. So uh, we've had a great school year. Um, each and every month that goes by, things get better and better. Um, as we come out of COVID, as we uh, continue to learn and grow, uh, but it's been great to see all of our staff working so well with all of our students and the students uh, kind of just seeing their personality come to life and, and learn at a high level and to see our families engage uh, so well. So a lot of really, really nice things that are happening. Um, and we all love a vacation and need the break, so we're ready for it and we want to celebrate it as a community. Uh, just a, a, a note that I think is important for families as they plan. The Friday, uh, the 20, December 23rd, is a half day uh, and there is no school on Monday, January 2nd as the first, which is a holiday that's on Sunday, so it's being observed on the Monday, so you got that extra day, and then we come back January 3rd, refresh for the, for the new year. Uh, the next one is uh, a wonderful celebration of success, and the students did a fabulous job in the Hanson play. Hanson play normally happens in April. Uh, it was moved to December, and uh, Patty Willis is the longtime director. She's done 31 plays. Um, and loves it. I've been communicating with her and uh, she's retired now but still works many many days within the Hanson and uh, she directed Beauty and the Beast Jr. Uh, there were 56 kids involved, fifth graders, a number of parents and guardians volunteered. Uh, the CAP was an incredible partner in this as we talked about. We changed up some operational elements to it where we helped and supported at a higher level. We did online ticketing uh, had Mr. Browninger as the principal do an announcement and we got record numbers. We had 600 the first night and 500 the next night. That auditorium, just to give you a scope, holds 834 people. To have 600 people in there for an L, I couldn't imagine being in fifth grade and looking out and seeing <laughs> everyone. So fantastic job by all. Uh, and just also want to give a shout out to, to 20 CHS students who helped with the set sound lights mm -hmm. and uh, backstage support. Again, CAP was pivotal uh, in working this, uh, directing it, helping in fundraising through it. Uh, and then uh, Patty Willis, like I said, uh, the longtime director, helped me put a few acknowledgments in here. So there's a number of parents uh, whose children have moved on through the middle school years and into high school, but have stayed on. And that's Dr. Susan Harrington, costume design, 17 years involved. Jen Prendergast, costumes, 11 years. Marilyn Curran, uh, grandparent of former. Uh, a student, seven years, Megan uh, Curran, sets and costumes, seven years, and Karen Benson, uh, all the props involved, seven years. So that level of commitment makes a difference. So great success. You see a number of photos there. So we're just so happy for them. Uh, and I think JFK is up next, if I'm not mistaken. Loose Grade 5 Circus, another longtime tradition um, that's really exciting. Laurie uh, Swicker, who's the uh, physical education teacher at that level, uh, very creative in thinking of, of bringing in the folks who run the circus, the kids practice throughout the week. Um, I just try to, to 
to capture it by saying it involves practice, active learning and movement, fun, creativity, and collaboration. I've seen the kids get prepped for it. There's confidence building, there's fun, there's movement, um, and then there's the showcase in front of their crowd. So it's a great, great, unique event to loose. Uh, we love that it happens. Ms. Wicker, thank you for leading that effort, and to the staff and Principal Lamore for supporting it, and to all the attendees for watching the students shine. Outstanding job. A number of photos there as well. Indicators of excellence. Uh, love the role modeling that happens in the district. So the CHS Tri-M Honor Society going to the GMS visit. Really simply to, uh, to mentor and to play with the GMS orchestra and band classes. So the performing arts continually do these visits. It builds that continuity across grade levels, gets that excitement. The role modeling makes a difference. Uh, had the opportunity uh, this week, excuse me, last week, uh, visited Luce during a, a, a normal scheduled visit and had a chance to see Principal Lamore and uh, SRO Eric Kaskovich co-teach a lesson in Ms. Cohen's classroom. So went in, do you want to see this? Yeah, absolutely. Kids were so sweet, they were great. It was an anti-bullying lesson for the social-emotional lesson, uh, and then a little bit of uh, transportation safety, bus safety. I'll tell you, Officer Kaskovich, great officer, great SRO, totally has a future as an elementary educator. Um, Principal Lamore, obviously, is a veteran educator. She was fantastic in doing it. But he read to them the questions that he had, the way that he, he got them into thinking, um, I was so, so impressed. Uh, and the students, they did a lot of turn and talk. They did a lot of great ideas. And of course, you ask the students any questions, they come up with the most authentic, really cool answers. Uh, you see Ms. Chris Untesee in there and Ms. Cohen. Uh, they supported the discussion. It was a really, really nice moment uh, to see administration educators, our SRO, involved in the teaching and learning in the lives of students. So what was also neat, too, they talked about having a trusted adult. And so they said, can you point to a trusted adult in the room? And so there's four, four adults there, and I'm behind, and I'm watching. Everyone got a point. Every, you know, the kids pointed to all different uh, folks, which is really, really nice. We had our uh, December 12th Professional Development Day uh, in Canton. It was a half day. A lot of work. Uh, it was building base and aligned with the SIP and district goals. The early childhood program fo focused on the restorative justice and trauma-informed classrooms. The Hanson used part of the day to dig more deeply into the vision for the high quality teaching, which is a center point of one of our goals, and also then turned their lens to math, uh, and our math specialists did a great job in facilitating that. Uh, it was in a follow-up to the consultancy from Allison Mello, who I talked about at the last meeting. JFK worked on refining the vision for high quality teaching, uh, learning, and leading. That work is done at administrative level. We are doing our learning walks that happen and we're using this PD time to engage folks in thinking about best practices for the purpose of their own reflection and growth, but also contributing to the district-wide vision for high-quality teaching uh, and learning. Luce worked on the principle of restorative justice, calibrated staff on the special education process, uh, and the K-2 attended a training on the Haggerty to support students through the wind block, while grades three and five also built the capacity of small group instruction for readers and writers workshop. So you, you can start to see here, if you go back to the SIPs and the district goals, it's really nice to see the PD all linked very, very clearly to that particular work. Um, it was a good, strong day. Galvin Middle School synthesized conversations, the process that fostered deeper learning around high quality teaching, learning, and leading. Uh, staff worked on to develop a lesson or project to be implemented 
in the coming months that align with practices that they discussed. So one of the things that we're also trying to work on is make sure whatever PD happens is applicable and uh, impacts students and impacts their own practice. You can have a great learning moment, but if it's not applied to the classroom, uh, you're not fulfilling the full circle of professional learning. Uh, and then at Canton High School, we have Principal Sprawling with us here tonight. Uh, they did some really, really important work, had a chance to visit. They did their self-reflection work and began writing the narratives for the NEAS report that they will submit this spring. So that was fantastic. Uh, Update-wise, we uh, regarding MSBA in the Galvin Middle School, the school building committee met on Wednesday, December 7th, and they continued the work uh, for the MSBA feasibility phase. So really the first priority now is to establish an owner's project manager, an OPM, to really direct and spearhead the work that's ahead, establishing an architecture uh, and a designer, and really uh, talking about grade configuration, location, scope of work, what things might look like. This is a critical hire. Process is, there's a selection committee established, which was, which is embedded in that committee, and then the OPM uh, will be established through an interview process. There's a request for services that is part of the process. Again, we're following the guidelines of MSBA. I want to give kudos to Mr. Marshall, who is the lead author of the request for services. He submitted it to MSBA. There were a few minor adjustments that they make. They have bottom line authority of what it says. They were very pleased with it, gave it back. We got it posted, and we have a number of candidates that are putting in for it now. So bottom line with regard to that, it's exciting. We're moving forward. We're meeting our deadlines. Uh, we will have a selection on this, and we are scheduled to meet our timelines to be at the March MSBA meeting uh, moving forward. CHF Athletics, just a, a little bit of information there uh, for the public. Uh, we're heading into the winter season. Once again, we're going to do digital ticketing uh, using GoFan. You could see it on the, the QR coming in. Tonight there's a basketball game, girls basketball game. So it went really, really well. Most schools are going this route. Uh, we took the leap of faith in the fall. It went really well. Uh, so we're really pleased. So dig into that. Support our student athletes. Go see all the, the different types of events. It's a nice thing to do sometimes when winter hits to have that excitement. I uh, had a chance to see a, a boys basketball game the other night. So it's fun. Read this through. Check it out. And check out the uh, athletic blog as well. Upcoming this Friday, tomorrow, we have the CHS Winter Concert. All ensembles are involved. Then we have the one-act plays on the 20th. We have the World Language uh, Honors Night. Uh, that's December 22nd. And then, as I mentioned, we have a, a half day on the 23rd, the school break on the 26th to the 30th, and then no school on January 2nd and return on January 3rd. That's my report. Thank right. you. Wonderful report, and really special kudos to all of those folks involved, uh, including Patty Willis uh, in the Hanson play. It's remarkable to think about doing anything for 31 years in a row. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> as, as, a, as something that's not exactly your day job and now, you know, um, as a side uh, passion. And then for those parents who continue to be involved even after their kids have moved on, that's, that's amazing. Um, and just a shout out also to the, the folks putting together that, that fifth grade circus. The thing that is so great about it, it's how I kind of got my start because it's always a tearjerker, that is an event where all kids can. And every single child who is in that fifth grade is a star. Doesn't matter what their physical or their, you know, um, their mental or other forms of abilities are. Every single one of them is proud of themselves, and they get to hear the fans cheering them on 
or it, who end up being the entire school and their parents. So it's a wonderful, wonderful event. But anyway, um, so anyway, congratulations to all involved. And I just wanted to ask a question mm -hmm. because I noticed, um, and maybe it's maybe it's a good question for um, when Ms. Rooney joins us in a second. Mm -hmm. The notion of adding leading to after the phrase teaching and learning. It's teaching, learning, and leading. Mm -hmm. Tell us what that means, a little bit more about sure, what that is, because I know uh, we choose our words wisely. Yes, thank you for noticing that. So that was born out of our, our strategic uh, planning that happened over the summer and our goal development. Um, what's that? I had COVID, You're there in spirit. Um, in, in, Yes, de we definitely believe in it. You know, one, one aspect is uh, we really had an emphasis on the instructional core in that goal setting, um, and teaching and, and uh, learning was a phrase that we have as a center point because we believe our students are, are key learners, but we as adults are key learners as well. Uh, we also discussed the concept with our, our strategic planning consultants, and it really it was something they brought to us to consider and think about, and we really loved it. We know that leadership can live within each and every one of us, be it a, a student, someone in the community, and, a, and a, um, all of our educators. You don't need a title, it's not restricted to administration. And when we had that discussion during goal setting, um, actually Sandra Watson, one of our, our, our new principals over at JFK, and she was really new to the team, mentioned uh, that, you know, that, that's a, a really strong philosophy to have in the district, uh, that that there's collective ownership around teaching and learning and that we all have the ability to lead uh, in different ways, including the, the students. So that's why it was added. Um, oh, fantastic. And, you, and you'll see it remain through all of our strategic planning and goal setting. Right, the emphasis on leadership is wonderful, particularly yep. if you're pursuing excellence. Yep, that's absolutely. fabulous. Yep. Okay, wonderful. Other comments or questions from the school committee? I do. Just the focus that we've had for years on those moments of joy. So good seeing this yep. into the winter sports season and the fifth graders for the, mm -hmm. the circus, for the Hanson play. Um, I know JFK has some stuff coming up, including the skating trip, the yep. great skating trip. Um, so just always, always a joy to see the moments of joy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay. All right. So we'll move on to the next item on our agenda. And that is D, our teaching and learning report. Welcome, Ms. Rooney. Back to share an update with us on the Social Studies Program Review. Yes, so as you know, this year is Social Studies Program Review year. Uh, and as usual, uh, we're, getting, we're getting good at this. This is our second time around now. Um, we spent the summer, five days this summer, working with a group of teachers to do all the usual things, you know, looking at standards across grades and thinking about what we teach and when we teach it and, and all of that. We looked at some data. It's a little harder to do that with social studies because we don't have MCATS data for social studies, but we looked at our nonfiction um, scores in ELA and thought about, you know, in English language arts, how are our kids doing in nonfiction reading and writing and how could we as social studies teachers work to improve that. Um, and the work continues throughout the school year. Um, I can say one of the highlights for me was having the opportunity at one of the early release days to work with the 612 um, history department. So all of the social studies teachers from the Galvin and the high school together. And we had all of the standards up on the wall as we normally do and had them even looking at elementary standards. So they have an understanding of like, what do they actually teach at elementary school mm -hmm. before they get to us? 
And then to watch, you know, the sixth and seventh grade teachers who teach mostly ancient civilizations sitting with world, world history teachers and talking about what we teach and what decisions we should be making about what we're going to cover and what you should cover. Well, don't worry about that because we go really deep into that. And, and if, if they could come to us knowing this piece, that's really helpful. And the same for the eighth grade civics team with the U.S. history teachers. Um, so it was a really powerful session that we had. Um, and so that's just one example of how the work, even though we do a deeper dive in the summertime, all, every teacher can't be there. So yeah. the work that really continues during the school year to involve all of the teachers in the, in, as part of the process is really helpful. Um, so the next phase of the work for us really is the curriculum unit development and looking at curriculum resources which presents us a, a little bit of a unique <coughs> challenge. Um, if you recall, when we, when we went through this for math <coughs> last year, our starting place really was looking at the Department of Education for Massachusetts and seeing what curriculum resources are they suggesting are high quality. Um, and we looked at ed reports, and we looked at Curate, and we really used that as a place to help us think about where should we look, what should we start with. Um, that doesn't exist for social studies. <laughs> ed reports doesn't even have social studies as a category on their website. Um, and the Department of Ed is actually in the process as well of really trying to do that advanced work of helping districts think through what, what do we think is high quality. So the example I can give you is that the elementary level, they started looking at 35, 34 different curriculum resources. Of those, there were only 19 that they thought were even worth reviewing. And when they looked at those 19, they ended up landing in with two that met their criteria that they were looking for. Um, in all of the categories that they were looking at. They were looking at the standards of, of uh, practice, they were looking for um, cultural responsiveness, and they were looking at usability for teachers. And so only two out of those original 34 met the match in all three of the, of the categories, and then, then two additional um, that met two but missed one. Um, and so we are using that information to help guide some of our thinking around what do we want to look at, but we really are concerned that there's just nothing on the market right now that's the right thing. Um, at the middle school level, really in grades five, six, and seven, the Department of Ed has been piloting some new social studies curriculum that they've been developing with one of the vendors. We tried to get in on that pilot for fifth grade a few years ago, but we weren't chosen to be in it, so we have to wait for it to come out, and we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, and Ms. Abrams and I actually had a call today with the, there's a new woman in charge over at the Department of Ed for Social Studies, and um, as part of the conversation I asked, you know, what's going on with the pilot? So they anticipate that the first units of those pilot curriculums for grades five, six, and seven will be released this spring. So we'll get a chance to take a look at that as part of our process. But the rest of the units won't come out until the fall. And oh, so wow. it's, really, it's really hard. Um, so we're trying to really take the time to look really carefully at materials that are out there. And we're waiting for guidance from the Department of Ed to help us really think that piece through. So it's going to be ongoing work. Um, I think as you start looking at, um, we had some operating requests come in where we are looking at, you know, what can we purchase? What do we feel confident would be the right thing to start with here or there in different grade levels depending on the needs. Um, but it's really feeling like it's a little too early yet to make some recommendations on that. The one recommendation that is going to come out, you may have seen in the notes, is that uh, Mr. Connor at the high school is going to be recommending that we add an AP government course at the high school. So that will be an addition that came out of the program review um, that I, I think we all support. So um, expect to see that coming soon. <coughs> and the work will continue throughout the year as we continue to um, work on developing units and identify resources and all of that. So that is our update.
Right, fantastic. Well, thank you um, very much. I, I should just say thank you overall for your leadership on this work. Mm -hmm. We are so lucky to have you and have the opportunity for our district to be going through this process and honestly learning from one another, even though they're not apples to apples and the process is going to be different for each. Um, can you uh, remind us what the timing is? So I realize there's all of these benchmarks and moments in time that are probably more opportune for evaluation and decision making. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, what is what is the the plan for kind of test? I don't know, developing a, an actual plan and then piloting rollout. Yeah. So we are moving forward with the curriculum development side of the work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Ms. Abrams, especially at the elementary level, has been purchasing books as we go this year. The reason that we had the phone call with the Department of Ed today is because the the gentleman, um, his name is Ruben Enriquez, who runs the elementary version of the history work at, at Desi. Um, she participates in a, in a like history social studies leaders network through the Department of Ed, and they were having a meeting a couple of months ago, and she was talking about the work that she's doing with trying to integrate the literacy work with the social studies work. And they found that really interesting, so they asked us to have a call with this sense. woman today. Um, because not a lot of districts are doing that yet, and yeah. we just feel like there's not enough time in the day to teach all of these subjects. How, how can we be really more strategic? And we know that um, in, in part of the process of the social studies review, really hearing from the history teachers about how much reading and writing kids need to be able to do to truly analyze text, that's, that foundational work <coughs> in the younger grades. And so we're really looking for ways to, to um, combine the two. Um, and so as we've said with other subjects, like the work will be ongoing regardless of the program review. The program review gives us an opportunity to go deep in, in really thinking about our alignment. But um, just as it does in ELA, if teachers come to us and say, hey, we have this new unit we'd like to teach, we need the books, we will put the process in place to help them do that. So Ms. Abrams will continue working on this throughout the year and next year and the year. It, will, it really doesn't ever stop, yeah. but this is really the year that gives us a chance to pause and really reflect on where we're at, identify the holes, and go deeper in thinking about what needs to come next. That's great. I mean, I, as a parent, I'll say um, for sure, and just going through the elementary experience, I've kind of got geography down. <laughs> and, and over the last couple of years, I've seen all sorts of new resources uh, brought in, and it's been awesome. Um, so this is an area where I, I'm excited to see where we can go. And the idea that we're, we might have an AP government class is very exciting. Um, can you tell us more about that? Not really. Um, <laughs> um, I know that um, right now um, we do not have an AP government class. We do have a government class, but it's not AP. And so uh, making that like a full year elective that students could choose for senior year. For senior year. Really exciting. We have a new teacher um, in the history department who came to us from another district and used to teach that course mm -hmm. and the district that she worked in prior. So it's, it's a really nice fit that we have somebody already that is familiar with the curriculum and would be able um, to do that work for us. Of course, I, I know Mr. Sperling is the one that gets yeah. to make the final decision for the high school, but uh, that's just a little taste of what I think is probably going to come. That's great. That's great. Other comments or discussion from the school committee? Or Samantha, any thoughts? I think that's also how I took note that Mr. Connors looking to add the AP government course. I think that's great because I know in that um, meeting we had, we were talking about diversifying the um, social studies like curriculum in high school so I appreciate that. Terrific. 
So I, again, I, I, I agree. The um, government class, I think they also have a component of we the people part of that, which would really broaden the access our kids are getting to understanding um, government, how it works. So quick question, I'm glad to see the focus on civics. And in terms of the grant, is that in play now? Mm -hmm. Okay, so yep. the, so the develop the professional teaching, uh, professional learning is happening now. Yes, so, so okay. the grant is designed, so we, we applied for two different things. Mm -hmm. Part of the grant helped pay for the program review that happened this summer. Mm -hmm. um, part of the grant ha is, is money that's still there that's helping us if we can pull teams of teachers together after school to do the unit development piece with Ms. Abrams or um, Mr. Connor or Mr. Natali, either one, um, that, that has to focus on civics, right? So that that development can happen. Mm -hmm. And then the third piece is some professional learning that's happening for um, our fifth grade ELA. We have some of the fifth grade teachers departmentalized. So if you are one of those teachers who's not teaching math, you teach ELA and history, on the professional learning days, you're joining the six through 12 team with the professional learning that they're doing with a, a group called Essential Partners. And they're really helping the teachers to think about how you effectively facilitate difficult conversations or com complex conversations. And as you can imagine, when you teach history in the world that we live in today, um, there's a nuance that you have to be able to navigate to help students have those types of conversations in a productive way. Um, and so the professional development is really designed to help them do that. We heard over and over and over again from the teachers, like, I understand the content. I need somebody to help me think about how to teach this yes. well right. so that kids can have the discourse that they need to have in a respectful way, mm -hmm. share their opinions, share their thinking, but come out of it you know, with, yeah. with deeper learning. Um, so that's what that professional learning is for, and they're doing that. Um, they started on the full day PD day, and then the half day in February and the half day in April, they'll be finishing up that session. And in terms of the so. new materials you'll be looking for, is that, because we're in the, as you, as you know, in the budget cycle now. Yep. Are you looking for that for the, I assume within this cycle for the next school year? So some of the money um, is actually allocated this year. Okay. So we have money set aside that we, like I know there's a third grade Massachusetts um, text that we're looking at purchasing mm -hmm. and that will be absorbed in the, that curriculum line item that you so generously gave us this year. Mm -hmm. um, and so depending on where we land with all of the requests that came in, some of it will be purchased this year, some of it may have to go into next year. Um, but we're looking at, you know, really where is there a need? There's a need for a new AP US text. Great. So what's that going to look like, Pat? Get, get to work. He's already identified what he thinks the right text is going to be, and we have those quotes. And so Ms. Shannon and I will work within the budget that we have this year to make as many purchases as we can. And then next year's money, whatever's left over, will come out of that. Great. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. Great. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Okay really exciting. Next item on the agenda is E1, our Canton High School graduation requirements. This is a good night. <laughs> we have Principal Sperling here to present to us an overview of his recommendations for the CHS graduation requirements moving forward. Hello, thank you. Um, so essentially what we, where we landed was just three items. Um, two I'll categorize as a little bit more housekeeping um, than sort of any wholesale change or, or um, kind of impactful. They'll have impact, but it, it's, it's not quite as substantial. So the first one is, is the more 
um, seemingly substantial one, but I, I really think it will benefit all of our students, um, and that's to add a fourth year of a math requirement. So um, that's a, a fairly common practice in, in a lot of area high schools, and uh, there is still a mix between the four years and the three years, but when we look at the minimum requirements for state colleges in Massachusetts, it is four years. The vast majority of our students, uh, with very few exceptions, enroll in four years of math anyway. So this would just really kind of bring us up to that level, um, put it in print, put it in the program of studies, and, and really um, kind of put that stake in the ground that we truly expect our students can achieve at that level, and that all of our students have the ability to meet those minimum requirements for state colleges moving forward. Um, so that's the math component. Uh, the second piece was um, kind of a bit curious to me when I first saw it, that we had our visual and performing arts requirements, so six credits in the visual and performing arts, or engineering and technology, which seemed a bit of an outlier. Um, it didn't really fit with those, uh, those other courses and those other requirements. So taking a look at other graduation requirements, program of studies, things like that from some other high schools, uh, and even looking at ours, I don't know if this was put in as those programs were developing. Um, I don't really know the history of it, but our engineering and technology courses are all really, really popular courses and all embedded in our science department. Um, they're extremely <coughs> popular, well formulated, especially now with the Project Lead the Way grant and those courses, um, that it, it felt a bit disjointed for those to fit in mm -hmm. with visual and performing arts. They're just not the same. Um, so we felt like removing that where it was already embedded under the science requirements as well uh, just seemed to make sense and kind of housekeep that a little bit. The third piece was we had a remaining three credits um, in courses using computers and technology. Uh, as a one-to-one you know, -one school now, that's every course. Uh, mm -hmm. So to sort of denote that kids have to go outside of their chosen program of studies um, to try to satisfy that requirement, I remember when I was first looking at Canton uh, in the application process and, and noting the computer monitor icon in the program of studies, and that was what this was for. So there were all these different classes from CAD to photography to just you know all over the place. Those would satisfy this computer requirement. So um, kind of as I learned Canton High School and, and got a chance to you know work with Mr. Sullivan, who's here tonight, and our instructional technology, it's just infused in everything we do now. Uh, there's not a class that our students take that doesn't have a major technology component. So they're getting those skills, they're getting those foundational skills and even deeper learning um, without having it feel like they're doing technology as an event. It's truly part of their learning. Um, so those are the three. We felt like everything else was really, really solid. Um, on, par, on par with Mass Core and on par with college requirements and things like that. Um, still the 120 requirements, so we certainly didn't diminish that in any way. Um, and you know, if we look at it from what students are required to take, we really kind of just shifted that three credits from technology up into that fourth year of math, which still gives kids a great opportunity to take classes that they're interested in outside of just the requirements. Fabulous. Well, this um, proposal makes great sense to me, and I'm thrilled to, f to be talking about it now. It's something that I know um, the school committee in, in various ways has been talking about, at least since I've joined in, in 2019. We've been very interested in learning more about not only just Mass Core, but our graduation requirements and making sure they were um, in line with best practice. And so we're, I am very grateful that you've taken this on, along with everything else that's happening right now, and I'm excited for, the, for, for this path that makes great sense to me. I'm going to see what else our members may have to say so, or ask. 
I, I agree. I, I think you know, moving to to four years of math, obviously math core, it's what's best for our students. And so I'm just seeing if this requires uh, will apply to the current class of 2026 or our current freshmen. So that's a question that we, we can discuss. Um, I think where they're about to enter their program of studies and their course selections, I just want to be sympathetic to, to that as well. I think we could, because all of those students are currently in math classes. Um, I would just want to be sensitive if they were working to project sort of their four years under our previous graduation requirements. Um, I don't see a problem with it personally, but I would just want to vet that a little bit through our counseling department. The other thing, and this is just sort of another conversation, so I'm delighted to see the four years. You know, in reviewing the Mass Core requirements, um, one thing that has come up in conversations with students is we require four years of wellness PE and health dynamics. Mm -hmm. And at the state level, um, the PE, phys ed, is required by state law. And I just, just recall, you may, I don't know if you were at that conversation, um, back in 2019 when we sat with students, we had, I think, a junior student say to us he was having trouble fitting in um, <laughs> college prep stuff because of this requirement. So, so my suggestion is this to sort of take another look at if we need to, and we, I think we had this conversation too, if there's a way to simplify that requirement so that the kids have a little bit more flexibility. Um, you know, that's another conversation for another day, but I, that, uh, that comment always stuck with me. The other thing too is that, again, I, I think adding a civics requirement at some point in time would be awesome. Um, I know there's five additional core courses that we have under Mass Core that flexibility to add that, so I'll put another pitch in for civics. <laughs> awesome. Any other com commentary? I should just mention that we discussed this also on our policy call last week. I think the consensus, if I'm speaking for all of us, was we were satisfied with it. No, no big questions or issues at all. Fabulous. So assuming there, you know, there are additional conversations to be had for, I, for one, would be definitely in support of um, trying to roll this out for the incoming class of 2026, understanding there may be caveats. But if, it, if, it, if there are reasons why it doesn't make sense, of course, like, we understand sure. that. And um, 2026 is the current, current freshman. freshman. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Current, yes. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to say uh, related to, um, so th this is about graduation requirements, but courses and optionality. I know there's a lot more work being done also just about scheduling and, and, and um, what will work best for, for Canton and the kind of litany of um, options we want to make available. So we look forward to hearing what your, you and your team and your committees are working through on that side too. That, and I, we know that's to come. Yeah, yeah we have that as part of a plan. The, the, the last section here for this document, there's a strikeout section. This is something that Jim Hardy, who works with us policy, took Principal Sperling's recommendation and uh, did, the, uh, did the edits here with regard to it. Um, we can certainly, if 2026 is not the, the right year, just come back to us. We can, we can make any yeah, adjustments that are there. Okay. Um, but there was a note there that we're striking out at the end. Uh, and that, that was just housekeeping. Mm -hmm. uh, that language about if a test requirement for graduation, uh, as he said, the MCAS requirement, which is stated above, really applies to that. That's an outdated statement, so it's just a bit of housekeeping just to explain that part. If, if I can just add one other you know, topic for another conversation. Again, under MassCore, they recommend additional learning opportunities. So we've got the AP part. Um, dual enrollment in early college, I think we have it in our program of studies, but I'm, I'm not sure how that works. So 
I'd want to learn more. Senior project, capstone coursework, online courses for high school or college credit, and service or work-based work learning. So um, check, check, and check. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're, talk, you're talking his language right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just read in the paper about there were five districts that won some grant yes. to pursue yeah. associates. Yeah. Uh, the, the early college is really interesting, and I'm mm -hmm. meeting with some principals that, that have those programs. There are certain qualifiers for that, mm -hmm. socioeconomic status of communities and things like that. So for sure. there are communities that have been very interested that just don't qualify. Uh, the dual enrollment piece seems to have changed considerably in the last two years. Um, it's not quite what it was back. I was a guidance counselor in my former life, and dual enrollment was a, a um, really popular piece then. But that entire program seems to have changed and really morphed into the early college. Yeah. So I'm hoping that there's other kind of those linchpin opportunities for people that, that although it might not be that same title, um, that there's opportunities we can bring forward. And I know our counseling department feels the same way. Yeah, because it just seems like there's really, especially at the state level, more of a look toward not only doing that, but having technical skills or having Absolutely. getting these kids so they're coming out of high school with a real, I mean, our students who go to, to our, like our Votech schools, they come out with a really concrete set of skills, if you will, mm -hmm. but making sure our gen ed high schools as well are, are making sure that those kids have the, not the same opportunity, sure. but similar opportunities Absolutely. to come out of with a graduation certificate with um, you know, a wide array of knowledge, including, again, some technical skills. Good discussion. Okay, if there is no other discussion, then I think we should take this to a vote. Mm -hmm. All right, I don't see an actual letter call sign for this graduation requirement for the actual policy, but let's just call it the graduation requirements. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it's, uh, do you have I, it? IKF, IKF thank yeah. you. Okay, so um, do I hear a motion for approval of the policy IKF um, and the new graduation requirements um, as written therein? I'm gonna give a hearty and throaty Endorsement. <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 motion. Yes. Okay. Is there a second? So second. All in favor? Aye. Aye for me. Bravo. Thank you. And Thank I can't you. wait to hear and learn more. Thanks to everybody involved. Appreciate Thank you. Okay. Awesome. Next item on the agenda is our item E2, our staff and community survey data. We have Mr. Fogel and Ms. Shannon here with us to talk about the fall stakeholder survey results. Welcome to the both of you. Casting. <laughs> just broke the code right there. Yeah. <laughs> you said it out loud. Right. That's it. <laughs> Siri was listening. Right. Something. Mm -hmm. that? <laughs> All right. So we are going to sort of toggle back and forth between the two of us. Um, but I am going to kick us off. Um, and we are here to share the results of both our community survey and the staff survey that we 
did um, at the end of November. Um, we are really excited to bring these results to you because, as you know, we did surveys last year and some of the results were tough. Um, and we have seen some really substantial improvement from the end of May last year till now. Um, and so we're excited to share that with you. We are seeing that we are starting to elevate things within the district, that we're accelerating um, educational momentum and the conditions for our staff. Um, the results of the students of the survey revealed that people are having a really high quality experience in the Canton Public Schools. Um, we know that we can continue to build on that, but the results are trending in an upward way. Um, in almost every category and section, results showed great improvement with a high percentage of affirmative responses. And the survey responses, us, responses really provided us um, with evidence that the work that we chose to do this year in our district goals and in our school improvement goals are the right work, um, which was really good for us to hear. We, we based all of those goals on the feedback that were received. So we hoped that we were going to be doing the right work and, and the survey results are confirming that. And we're able to capture nearly double the amount of voices in our school, in our school community than we were last year with this survey. Um, I think some of the reasons that we were able to do that, um, I don't know why when I hit forward that this popped up. Let's try again. There we go. Um, we think some of the reasons we got more input was because we tried to streamline the, the survey. Um, last year, the surveys were, were long, um, and we asked similar questions multiple times, and so the feedback we got was that we needed to streamline them, so we did that, and we tried to get to about 20 questions to in, increase participation. We kept some questions consistent from the last surveys, um, because we wanted to have that comparative data. But we also changed some questions so that the questions were aligned with our district superintendent and school improvement plan goals. Um, the one difference this year was that our community survey only went out to families pre-K through grade eight. And the reason for that is because um, Principal Sperling at the high school had to do a NEASC survey. And a lot of those questions are, are <coughs> similar. We actually looked at that survey when designing this year's survey. So there is some comparative. It's, you'll see that it's not compared in a way that is clear on the slides, but we have some comparable data. Um, and then in May, when we send out, or the end of April, beginning of May, the survey that we send out at the end of the school year to families, that will go pre-K through 12 but it was really important that Principal Sperling got his NEAS data mm -hmm. from parents in the community, and we did not want to over-survey families because we like when they participate. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Shannon. Uh, like Ms. Shannon had uh, mentioned before, we had a great turnout uh, of our parent and guardian responses. We had 827 total responses. Uh, that represents 43% of our pre-K to 8 families. Uh, last year was roughly 21% within that same grade span. Uh, like Ms. Shannon had mentioned, the CHS families took a NEAS survey, so the comparisons and the family engagement uh, metrics that you'll see later on 
uh, are just compared to last May's pre-K to 8. Uh, we had pretty strong representation and consistency throughout our schools. There's a, a distribution and the breakdown by grade of who had responded. And a, a consistent variety of race and ethnicity is represented within our responses, as well as a pretty proportionate um, representation of our free and reduced lunch population, students on support plans, our multi-language learners, and um, a, a pretty natural distribution across the grade levels. This slide uh, represents the aggregated um, uh, survey sections by response rating. One was a strongly disagree on the Likert model, five was a strongly agree. So the communication, overall experience, student culture, student well-being, teaching and learning and transportation, those are the five sections within the survey. Um, you'll see that there's a lot of green, again highlighting the affirmative responses. And the um, table on the right represents uh, the section comparison. So again, the aggregate affirmative responses by section uh, of the fall survey compared to last spring. So uh, strong increases in communication, overall experience, and teaching and learning stayed consistent with school culture and student well-being, and just a small decline in our transportation categories. And that table, again, is represented uh, on this bar graph right here. Um, again, big highlights in three of the sections, communication, overall experience, and teaching and learning. The demonstrated uh, marked increases in affirmative responses. Student culture and student well-being maintained a consistent level of affirmative responses and um, not a significant decline in our transportation um, affirmative responses. Uh, this legend uh, represents a few of the items in the architecture of the survey. Uh, the icon you'll see uh, with the green arrow represents uh, an increase in affirmative responses from the direct question and comparative analysis from last survey. The, the thumbs up is gonna represent a highlight uh, from a prompt where there were a high percentage of agrees or strongly agrees. And the opportunity flag represents just that. It's a candidate as a focus area for the remainder of the school year given the survey data and the responses. So throughout the survey, uh, you'll see that the sections represented or the unit membership, uh, each of those slides are structured with this uh, legend and architecture. Okay. All right, so if we wanna break things down just a little bit more within each of the five categories. Um, we, we can do that thanks to the data that Josh has been able to compile and how he puts it into his blender and is able to give us really interesting um, things to think about and look at. So when we look at overall experience, two areas that we went up is one is that Canton Public Schools has high expectations for my child and we have been talking about elevating the learning this year and, and really this has been a focus for us. It's, it's evident in the goals that we've set for ourselves. And so we're happy to see that this is trending upward. We're at 74%. We know obviously there's still a lot of room to go and we have a lot of work to continue to do. So we, we know that in all of these areas, especially the ones where we set goals for this year and we've only had three and a half months to work on them that um, the anticipation is that by the end of June, these will go up even higher as we continue the work. Um, and we felt really good about the fact that 83% um, of families feel that their child's school is safe, um, and we will continue to work on that as well. Um, uh, uh, one of Josh's thumbs up 
is as a parent and guardian, and I feel welcome in a sense of belonging at the school. That is at 88%, which is high. Um, I think that what we have to work on, though, is that next opportunity in that when you break that data down by um, race and ethnicity, our families who put strongly disagree or disagree, 70% of the strongly disagree and disagree were our families who are not identifying as white. So as we think about our equity work, which really is about creating a sense of belonging, we have work to do there. Um, so that's gonna be a continued focus for us. Um, with regard to communication, um, we are doing a great job with our district and school communication. It's clear, effective, and informative. 90% of respondents rated us as a strongly agree or agree um, for district and 88% with re respect to schools. Um, and another thumbs up is when families are reaching out to their children's teachers or the school, they are receiving a response within two school days, which is sort of the standard that we have set. And so 88% are agreeing or strongly agreeing. Um, an area where we can continue to get better is informing families about what's happening in their child's classes. We're at only 73%. I think that's something that we've been working on this year, for instance, um, with Ms. Rooney's help, the elementary um, schools and teachers are sharing at each grade level, this is what your child is, is learning this year. That didn't exist until this year. Um, we're going to be continuing that work at the, at the secondary level as well over the next few years. So hopefully as we continue to do that, this will continue to rise. Um, I wanna go back for one moment also and just talk about, cause I said we had some information from the high school as well from their NIAS survey. And with regard to the overall experience where K through eight or pre-K through eight was 74% for high expectations, 75% um, of families who took part in the NIAS survey said that um, that was true or mostly true at the high school level. And um, this may be a moment for Josh to explain why the data doesn't compare directly yeah, the, uh, the NIAS survey had uh, a different body of potential responses or selections for our responders. Our Likert model is asking for an agreement status. Do you strongly disagree? Do you strongly agree? The NIAS model is asking for families to commit to an always or almost always commitment on those Likert models. Is it always true without fail or is it almost always true? Um, so it, uh, it's a little bit of a a non-comparison when you look at the response selections given the two surveys. 75%, uh, like Michelle had mentioned, was one of the highest scoring categories on the NIASC survey. Thank you. Um, and also with regard to school safety, 71% of the respondents of the NIASC survey said that it was true or almost always true that the high school is a safe place for their children to be. So with regard to student culture and student well-being, um, this is always a top priority for us because students feeling a sense of belonging and families feeling a sense of belonging is when we know we're doing a good job because then our, our students are open for learning. Um, and so 86 
percent of our families saying that yes my child feels welcome and has a sense of belonging is great and we want to get into those high 90s but the growth from 83 to 86 percent in just a couple months is something that we we are looking at and, and figuring out okay what's working and what do we need to continue to do um, another thumbs up is that the staff this this is specifically from the um, the high school NIAS survey that the staff treats students with respect even if they don't know me um, and 88% of the family said agree or strongly agree um, and then an opportunity for growth is about families knowing what additional social and emotional supports are available for their children and this actually we knew that this was an area of growth for us and actually it is um, specifically called out in at least two of our school improvement plans so principals are working on this we know that parents need more especially in this sort of post-covid world and when it's so hard to get resources outside of school it's not that we can necessarily replace what you can get outside of school but we can help people know where to go for what they need teaching and learning um, this also is an area where we saw some real increases um, overall I feel like my child is making academic process progress went from 75% to 84% that is significant growth for us um, and it is a significant priority for us so we expect to see some growth there and we hope to continue to see growth there um, my child has access to learning supports as needed again 72% to 80% um, with regard to what are we doing well at the high school on the NIAS survey they did share that the classes that their children are taking are challenging 78% of the families responded with the agree or strongly agree um, an area of growth for us continues to be in this area of my child being challenged academically um, we need to continue to do that work and you can see on this slide that in May of 2022 that was 75% currently it's sitting at 68% but an interesting thing to note is that while our strongly agree and agree numbers went down so too did the strongly disagree and disagree numbers they went from 14% to 11%. So what that means is actually the I'm not sure category is where it grew the most. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's an interesting statement that we need to dig into a little bit and figure out. And it goes back to that um, data point of I know what's happening in my child's classroom, right? So the more parents know what's happening in their classroom, the more they feel like they have the information to actually answer this question which they don't necessarily feel they have right now. I wonder if it's the time of the school year, too. It very much could be the time of the school year. Yep. There are lots of factors, right? Um, transportation. I, I think we all anticipated that this would be a tougher, tougher spot for us. Um, however, my <laughs> child has had a good experience on the bus. Actually, the data is up. Um, it went from 53% to 55%. Um, and my child feels safe on the bus. We are at 65% for agree or strongly agree. We know that we have work to do. We are constantly talking about it and building plans. And, and I would say that though the numbers 
show us that we have work to do. Given all that happened with transportation at the start of the year, I think we thought maybe the numbers would be worse. So um, I think that speaks to the number of, of children for whom the bus change still worked and the work that Stephen and others and Brett put into making it work for people over time when we knew that there were issues. There was a lot of hard work that went into making it right. And I think that's where we got some of these numbers. Um, student services, so when families went in to do the survey, they <coughs> answered a question that told if their child was on an IEP or a 504 or not. And so the only people who saw this question about feeling like a valued member were the, were the family members who answered in the affirmative. And so 81% of the families who answered who are on an IEP or a 504 agree or strongly agree that they feel like a valued member of their child's IEP or 504 team, which is, which is very high. Um, I'm going to turn this over to Josh because he, we're going to shift gears from the community survey to the staff survey and he's going to talk about some of the numbers. Thank you, Ms. Shannon. Uh, this represents the uh, staff survey uh, responder summary. Uh, so again, a, a good turnout for our staff members. Um, you'll see down on the unit total, uh, the unit A membership, 254 responses. That represents about 90% of our unit A uh, teammates. Um, and again, a good distribution by school, by role, um, and, and we had a, a great turnout, and that's particularly because of the design uh, and the survey framework. Um, a couple of factors we believe contributed to such an increase in uh, survey responses. We did streamline the survey again to about 12 questions to get increased participation and get the same relevancy and results when compared to last May's questions of uh, relevancy. Uh, we did allocate time for our staff members to complete the survey. And we found that to be a pretty profitable uh, instance when we looked at the time that the surveys were submitted. Um, nearly all of them were dedicated or uh, submitted during the dedicated time. Uh, we did align our questions to match with the district superintendent and school improvement goals. And uh, a, a similar to the uh, family surveys, we designed questions based on the membership that the survey taker selected. So, uh, if they selected they were a member of the Unit A, then they were presented with a series of questions. So not section-based questions, uh, rather they were questions uh, associated with the unit that they had selected. All right. So some areas of improvement for us with regard to staff data is that um, my administrators are responsive when I seek support for student behavior and management concerns. Last year, this was a real concern for us. Um, and at the end of May, we only had 51% of our staff saying they agreed or strongly agreed. Um, at the point of this survey, we were up to 67%. Um, again, this has been a very specific goal for the principals and their leadership teams, and they are working really hard at this. Um, and all, I think this is in a later slide, but all of the principals have been sharing this data out with staff and with school councils and I know I've seen some of the slides from some of the some of the principals and they're talking about this like we know that there's we're working on this there's been some improvement and we have room to go um, so it's it's a major focus um, 
Another area of improvement is staff feeling a sense of belonging within their own school communities and increase in staff feeling supported by district leadership. Um, again, you know, a 48% approval rating is not as high as we would like to be, and yet up from 33% is a significant increase mm -hmm. in, in a few months. Can I add to that? Yes, of course you can. Um, for that particular prompt, I feel supported by district leadership at 48%, agree or strongly agree. This is the fourth time that that prompt has appeared in our surveys, and 48 represents the highest uh, affirmative percent since we've uh, introduced that prompt. Um, another area where we see some reason to be um, happy because we're moving in the right direction is that 77% <laughs> of our staff agree or strongly agree that they know what the district goals are this year. Um, and we are continuing to talk about them. And even this morning at our Professional Learning Council, we had a really good conversation about the March 10th date that we're planning, which is going to be a teacher-led day. How do we con continue to connect the dots between what is happening on that day and what our district goals are and why that day is happening? Um, so that's been a major focus for us. Um, so we continue to work to the place where everybody understands what the goals are and sees themselves in those goals. Yeah. Um, our area, of, our biggest area of growth really from this survey is around the restorative justice. Um, we knew this wasn't gonna be high because we know that not all of the schools have tackled this within their professional development and faculty meeting time yet. Um, 39% of our staff in Unit A said they agree or strongly agree that they've been introduced to it. Our hope is that by the end of the school year, 100% of our staff are saying that they've been introduced to it. So this is, this is a, a, a work in progress for sure. Um, our Unit E members, um, one of the questions we asked last year and this year again is do you know where to find resources for working with students with unique learning needs and that is up from 56% to 65% and I'm sure there are a lot of reasons for that and I think one of the things we heard last year when we went on our listening tour was that our unit e folks really wanted more professional development and so we've been trying to do that in a variety of different ways and so hopefully that is part of why they are more aware of how to handle students with um, unique learning needs. And I feel safe at school again went up a little bit. Um, this, this celebration is really amazing. 95% of our Unit E members said that they feel um, welcome in the classrooms in which they work. Um, so as we think about senses of belonging, that's amazing. That's huge. Um, so kudos to all of the people who all of the classroom teachers, the A members, the E members, they are, they are the reason that number is so high. Um, and our opportunity for growth here with Unit E is they are the unit that they don't see themselves represented in the district goals yet. Um, so we have work to do there. Um, again, as Josh mentioned, we had different questions for different folks who work within our district. So we had separate questions for our personal service contract members. 100% um, of our respondents in this category said they feel supported by the district leadership. 90% felt they 
felt supported by building leadership. And this is a, a growth opportunity for us, not just with personal service contract members, but other units as well, in that there are processes in place for staff voice to be heard during the decision-making process. And so um, I didn't talk about it earlier because I knew I would talk about it here, but this is one thing that has been <coughs> a priority for us, and we continue to build in structures and systems to hear different voices. Um, I think we are doing more than we were a year ago, and there are more things that we can continue to do to hear those voices. I also think that one of the things that we are starting to do more of is sharing back out with people. Um, we heard you, and this is what we're doing as a result. Um, I think that's an important piece to, to people understanding that they're filling out these surveys makes a difference. It changes things. Um, you know, even in the comments, there were still a few people who said, I don't think this matters. I'm filling it out anyway, but I don't think it matters. It does matter. It really, really does. So anyone who's watching, it does matter. We really read it all. Um, but it's not until we continue to get to a place where they trust us that that will change. And so it's us really coming back and saying, here's what we heard. Um, and then there are some cases where we're, we're asking for a voice, but it doesn't mean that we're going to make a decision that um, aligned with everybody's voice. Because some of the things, the, the voices are so disparate, and yet we still have to make a decision in how we move forward that sometimes we can't accommodate everybody. So, but that's an area of growth for us with everything. And then we asked um, <coughs> our Ask Me members for their input as well, and, and had different questions for them. We didn't get a high, high turnout um, in respondents in this one, but with what we did, 100% um, of them said that their work is, they feel like their work is important and valued by the system. Um, also 100% that their culture is respected by the school and their department. I think where we still need to continue to do some work is, is students being respectful of all positions within the district as well. Um, and as we think about the sense of belonging, that's a piece of it, right? That you're respected by all. So what are our next steps? We are celebrating our successes, because there are definitely successes, and we are taking stock in where we still have a lot of room to grow. Um, and we're doing that at the district level, at the school level, our principals are talking with school councils, they're talking with their staff at faculty meetings and they're talking with their administrative teams about what can be, what are next steps. Um, we're sharing this data with our consultants who are gonna help us in, in doing our strategic planning work because there are things that we see in the data that will become items in our strategic plan. We're considering budgetary requests um, as a result of some of this data. Um, we're using this data to for um, the continuous policy and handbook review cycles, uh, especially with regard to student discipline and um, responsiveness of administrators. We're continuing to solicit feedback from stakeholders in many different ways. Um, we're having intentional conversations and planning to address opportunities and areas for improvement. We are continuing the work of our goals, which we think will have continued Im positive impact on the survey data. Um, and we're 
we saw data where we may not be improving as much, recalibrating also. Um, and then in late April, early May, we will resurvey folks and see where we are at that point. So um, just a big thank you to everybody who participated in the surveys. We do want to hear their voice, and this is one way that we can capture it. And so we encourage them in late April, early May to do it all again. All right. Thank you very much. I think uh, just personally, I, I feel that much of what I saw in the stakeholder survey data, but also what I know um, uh, maybe a bit about sort of the internal culture, like a lot of this rings true. And so um, lots to um, celebrate. And I really do appreciate also the, um, the calling out of opportunities for continued growth. That's, that's fabulous. Um, it's clear that the, the methodology and the way that we're doing the surveys now and getting to a place where we've got really good and longitudinal data to take a look at be really helpful for the district a um, a suggestion not an a you know not an ask because certainly it's up to you um, mr. Fogel and ms. Shannon uh, but I, I, I would I would um, suggest that year over year it may make some sense to have a page or somewhere on methodology so that we can learn be learning about um, how the process itself is improving, you know, how long this, the survey was fielded from dates to dates, and um, even the improvements you've made with the, um, the adding of the, the, the key, if you will. I, I think that's really, really awesome, and it's just about continuity long-term when people look back and say, ah, here's how they did it. Let's make sure we keep that best practice going. So it's just a thought. Um, and also uh, maybe help put into context as we move forward, because this is really the beginning of learning so so much more about what we can from the data, um, what we really all strive for. So right now, it's like, let's see growth in areas we care about. But over time, um, is it, and is it something that we can learn from, it's made, whether it's methodology or it's exec sum, it's somewhere where you say, well, you know, um, we feel 80% is the top because um, this is not a question where you're you're seeking 100% um, validation, but in other cases, um, uh, maybe 100% is the goal. So it it would be good to know at some point about just uh, what we strive for in addition to growth. But I I, I love how you've been able to take um, different points and uh, help us better understand exactly how you're interpreting them. And then I'm guessing this is going to be really powerful for school councils who then dig in. For instance, the, um, the data point that talked about um, the parents and guardians um, who replied disagree or strongly disagree that they attend school-based events um, based on ethnicity. There, there might be some really um, real reasons as to why that is that perhaps can get um, addressed even, even now to help improve the numbers in the year ahead. So this is just, um, to me, a really great uh, step in the right direction. So, thank you. No questions, just thoughts. Other comments or questions from the school committee? Yes. Um, so, thank you. I echo the same thank you. This is amazing info and um, analysis of it. 
very encouraging to see the increase in the responders mm -hmm. for it and seems pretty equal generally across the schools, elementary to elementary and, and grade to grade um, across those. So that's, that's very encouraging. Um, you saw my expression, the transportation <laughs> that you had talked about. So that's, I'm gonna give all the credit, as you mentioned before, to, to um, Stephen and to Brett and to everyone that dealt with, mm -hmm. with um, turning uh, lemons into lemonade as much as possible there. I think it, I, I wanna jump right out of tune and say, I think Go it also it. shows just yeah. how imperfect the transportation was Right. Previously, exactly. and it's hard to yes. and how short exactly. our memories are yeah. um, right. about right. that sort of thing. Sixty-five to have improved is great, but right. then it still is sixty-five percent. That means forty-five percent. Right. You know, exactly. Improvement what I was is amazing. Thinking before, considering yeah. everything, but it's still room to grow. I can't say it better. Same thing I was thinking before. For the student culture and student well-being, thank you for mentioning about the, um, the opportunity that you mentioned there for um, SEL mm -hmm. and that being put in place. As, as you mentioned, the fallout from COVID times and there's so many things in the news these days that are just daily reminders for um, mm -hmm. things that can be going on with students and staff and, and families that, that you don't know. Um, so making sure that our students and our families have those resources and know how to um, know how to get them. I am wondering, going back one slide to communication, um, when it's the opportunity, um, what was tagged as opportunity about being well informed about what's happening in the child's classes. And the, again, not a request, but it's just a pondering. Be interesting to see attendance at the open houses where where the teachers discuss that versus the solution and I'm not asking for that data I'm just wondering if it's mostly the people that said that they were informed about it that were the people that attended the open houses because I my experience of the two different schools it was very well laid out so I wonder if that's that could be the, the link mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> I'll end with that. Good. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I'm sorry. One more thing. For Ask Me units, um, the opportunity there um, with students respecting the position, their positions within the school system. Do we have an appreciation day that we do district wide, perhaps, that we could bring to the students for it? Or an appreciation week, maybe even better? I, don't, I was going to say, we appreciate say at a staff level, but yeah. I don't know that we appreciate, like, we don't have a day. I can't think we, of a I wonder day if that's there about could it be, for the kids to appreciate. Right. It's an interesting idea, though. Like little notes, even, or something. I don't yeah. know. I, I think there's, we listed it as opportunities because yeah. one thing we have in our staff survey, we've done unit A and unit E. It's the first time that we put it out for the ASME units, which are food service workers, custodians, maintenance workers, um, you know, admin assistants. And if you ever walk through a building, the, the important roles these folks play in the lives of setting the environment, really having face-to-face -face interactions with students, anyone that picks up, you, you know, as a parent, you're calling uh, around something. It, it's the, the staff in the, in the office, they're really, really important people. 
Um, we didn't get a high level of participation. It's new. Um, we want to. We certainly want to hear their voices, their choice, if they want to fill out the survey or not. But that stuck out to me because I, I, I'm a big respect person, and as a as a teenager or a young adult, you know, no, no matter the the level, sometimes you can take for granted the the impact that the number of adults in your life play, uh, and the kindness that can be showed, and you miss that opportunity as you grow older. You realize it's there. So. We have had conversations around how do we bring these folks to the forefront, and um, you know they are they are working roles where they genuinely love working in schools, love kids, um, and and love their jobs, and uh, you know to have an understanding of that appreciation and that that level of respect, um, and it can happen. It's just got to be a little bit intentional sometimes, you know if. Kids can be kids. They can certainly um, make mistakes, not not treat moments well. But if you ever sit down with a, a student, young adult, and you kind of talk about the person that is there to uh, help you be the best that you can be, they understand that. That you don't have to be a senior in high school to understand that. Sometimes it just has to be a little bit more intentional. So we're excited about bringing that level up and, and putting some attention there. I'm thinking that's an interaction that might be some pretty tough moments. It's if you think about the food service workers, children are going there, possibly hungry, rushed, mm -hmm. trying to talk with their friends, not, maybe not in the best uh, um, moment. In the best moment, there we go. <laughs> but I look at it, when I go see them, they're bringing me joy when they... Yeah. <laughs> When they're having yeah, a little yeah, conversation, yeah. they're saying, you know, <laughs> right. what might you want for lunch? you got to right. just see the moment and, exactly. and see the person exactly. uh, and, and love it up. So, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. That was all I had. Thank you so Thank much. You. All right. Ms. Ryan? So I'm really happy to see the um, sort of separate surveys for Unit A, Unit E, and the ASME and the personal service contracts. I think that's something that all of these individuals are interacting with our children. So to really you know, hone in and get a sense of their their experience, I think is outstanding. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. And a qu question, on the on the staff side, were those, were the high school students included on the staff survey? Because I know the families weren't on the family side, but the high school staff included on the staff side? Yes. yes. Okay, okay. So, because I'm just looking back at the, um, I know in some of the family surveys, you did add in the high school comments. Um, so the May 2022 would have been pre-K to 12, all of their, their responses. And the fall one is pre-K to 8. For the, for the family survey? Yes. It was pre-K to 8. Okay. Comparing it to the May survey. So, and the yeah. May one was pre-K to 12? Josh took Just pre-K to eight. So oh, so you that. Oh, so, so, the, so, oh, so it is apples. It's apples. Okay. apples. So it is apples. Yes, I removed okay. all the uh, yeah. high school responses okay. from the one to do the direct. Oh, good. That's that's yeah. awesome. That's good to know. So I just had a couple of just general observations, and um, I always like to read through the comments because I think that to me offers nuance. You know, we we see numbers, but it's helpful when people take the time to um, you know just offer some insight. And I will say, there's a lot of positive. comments. There's a lot of people, a lot of parents who are very happy with their kids' experiences. Um, there are a lot of staff who are doing, you know, very happy with their experience. So it's, I think it's great to see the good stuff. I think that's important. I think it's also important to um, acknowledge that there are some families or, the, you know, who mm -hmm. aren't as happy as others. And I think the numbers bear that out. 
But the one thing I, I my take, I always look for themes and um, outliers. And I think the themes that I've seen are, are so much of what the survey pointed out. Both staff and families are looking for more academic challenge for their kids. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that, that jumped out on me on the transportation side, so I think the, the busing issues around lateness has been dealt with. Mm -hmm. It was the behaviors yeah. on the buses. Mm -hmm. yep. So um, that was something that I've certainly brought forward before. And I know at that point in time we talked about if a student has a issue, <coughs> the principal brings it forward or the um, bus driver brings it forward. I'm wondering though if we need to take another step and hire bus monitors. I mean there's, there's some really some discomfort here. So how can we tackle that because it sounds like we need to be doing more. So how can that the behaviors on buses be tackled? Yeah and I think we've been talking about that. I think um, there have been instances where we have put bus monitors on mm -hmm. buses. Um, you know, typically what happens is if there's an issue on the bus, the bus driver will submit a discipline mm -hmm. form or a student will come in and, and talk and our, and our school administrators are dealing with that. But when there become patterns of behavior, we do try and sometimes put bus monitors and we've had some great um, staff members step up to do that. I think there are probably more opportunities for that and yet we don't always get the staffing to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I think also like I just know that the middle school has been working on bus behavior. They've had some um, student um, assemblies to talk about bus behavior. So I think they're trying some different things this year. And <coughs> I think we probably need to continue to think about new and different solutions mm -hmm. um, because I, I don't think that this data is new this year. I, I think this is a trend, mm -hmm. and you know, my time as a middle school principal, it was it was something that I heard about often. Um, I also think, and this is not an excuse, <laughs> I think that historically, in every district, bus behavior is is an issue because it's the one time students are truly, truly, sort of on their own. Um, and the only adult is the driver and their, their focus is on safety. That does not mean that we can't do more. Um, but I think it's gonna take some soothing down and really sort of, now that we've sort of gotten times and you know, roots done, but open to other ideas too. May I just add on to that? One of the, Mr. Marshall, I can tell you ready to jump in too. The, one of the next steps uh, was budget considerations. And so you'll see us bringing forward some requests uh, specifically around bus monitors and and not a posting and let's hope we get people uh, more of a um, systematic way of doing it and do, do you feel comfortable speaking to it yet or do you want to go through the budget process I think it's um, important that we honor the budget process and yeah. um, but I, I do yeah. um, this item as well as a previous item that was brought up um, tonight uh, I think you, you'll see come forward through the budget request process yeah. um, but yes uh, we're thinking about this in a different way um, because we know that the current way of trying to do this kind of of a stipend or an hourly um, with our current staff just doesn't work mm -hmm. um, we I will share that um, there are other states that require this mm -hmm. um, yeah. and so we are learning um, and doing research as to how that is working um, and we we might have some some ideas um, where uh, we can be confident that we have 
um, not just an adult, but somebody that might be trained to handle some of these um, types of instances uh, at the ready to be, not necessarily, not potentially on every single route, um, but you know, maybe this is the bus you're on this week and you're on a different bus next week. Um, so I think that uh, you'll see that come forward over the course of, of um, the budget process. To Ms. Shannon's point, the middle school has done some assemblies regarding this. Um, the elementary schools have done some real um, practice um, on the buses. Uh, one of the benefits of having, um, you know, a few of our own buses, you know, we've we've parked a bus, you know, once the morning route is done, take that bus to the loose, and it's it's just kind of there. Um, and and staff have been able to take kids and, and really try to model um, behaviors. Um, but we we hear loud and clear that we have some behavioral issues on the buses again i don't think this is new to this year um it's uh but it's something that we take um seriously and we need to to do better um just in terms of building that culture right because something happens on a bus and it it comes over into the school um and we need to try to to minimize that um yeah and not to get too far off topic because i, I know we want to get but, but I, I will say one more thing on the buses the other piece of it was in adding the cameras this year and we're great they've you know just been really rolled out um hopefully that will be another tool that we have that helps to sort of deter um, long-term bad behavior on the bus. Mm -hmm. So within our handbooks, we do have mechanisms to to suspend kids from buses. Mm -hmm. do, are we doing that? Is that yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. okay. I, I just yeah. I'm gonna say yes from oh, the okay. middle school level. Okay. Um, in my three and a little bit years, we definitely did that, and I know they did it last year as mm -hmm. well. Um, it we use it because it is the one real piece of recourse that exists, mm -hmm. um, and it inconveniences people. It changes behavior because. It, the kids need a way to get to school. Um, and it's a privilege, really. Yeah. And so we do use that. And is there any tracking that so if you know, Johnny gets thrown off the bus for a week, does Johnny course correct going forward once Johnny comes back on the bus? Most cases, right. yes. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yes. So, so it works. Yeah. Because again, I mean, it's, it's we're a community. Yeah. And you're on the bus as a community. And if people aren't, you know, behaving well in a community, that's not fair to the kids who are just trying to get to school every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Good. Okay. And I think those assemblies are great reminders about respect the students have for the drivers and for the other students there yeah. because it's a different setting, obviously, than their classrooms yeah. at home. Yep. So any other commentary you want to make? No, I just I, I think to the to the families uh, when they write about bus behavior, there's sometimes it's high-level behavior that wants that suspension or <laughs> bus. And then there's just um, overexcited play. I'm thinking about Officer Kaskovich who did his um, safety, and he just did a nice one. This is second graders, and just saying, you know when you're at home and your house is really loud, you have a, a sibling that's just driving you nuts, right? He built empathy in these second graders because he said, Imagine being the bus driver and having, you know, all of those folks that maybe it's just you're talking too loud or you're kicking the back of the seat or you're, you're poking, you're doing all those different things. So there's a, there's a lot to it, but to the families out there, we, we really understand and believe if we're going to have gold that happens during the day, when I say gold, I mean high level teaching and learning and leading like great experiences, love up your child, challenge them academically and have that, and that happens. But if the start of the day and end of the day on the bus 
doesn't land well, it, it shapes your child's experience. We read about that sometimes, and we, as parents, mm -hmm. we, we know that to be true. Um, so we are working on this. I applaud the administrators for holding um, one uh, side of the year discussions and expectations, and they continually address it when it reaches a tipping point or something that needs, because when you're a community, and there's actions and behaviors of others that are causing harm to the community or um, unrest, uh, and not the relationships you want. I, they have been phenomenal in addressing particular discipline, but also whole behavior to try and reset some things. So we want to make sure we support them systematically in how we do it. So that's the budget process. That's it. All right. Great. I want to keep us moving, but ask if there are any other comments or questions. And if not, we will move on. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everybody else involved, not only fielding it, but now helping to process and uh, keep improving the district based on the results. Okay. So the next item on our agenda is E2. Sorry. 3B. See? See how you do that is? The annual town meeting vote. And so we have some articles for the town meeting that Mr. Marshall will talk to us about, propose for vote. Yes, yeah, so um, I've provided for you just one article, um, which is an ask to increase uh, the special education reserve account. Um, these articles at this point do not have any um, monetary value associated with them. It's um, really just to see what sums of money mm -hmm. um, the town is willing to provide um, for the school district. As we get closer, um, I will be having more conversations with the town to determine what that um, amount uh, likely would be, but um, it's not part of the actual ask. And then in addition to this um, ask, there will be other town meeting articles uh, that are, um, that will benefit the schools. Um, but will be put forward by uh, the town side. So yep. um, capital uh, projects, mm -hmm. um, I don't anticipate anything from CCPC this year, but um, you know there are other articles um, and uh, and so, but for right now, we believe that this, this is, is um, the only article that we need to, to move forward. So okay. I do ask for um, the committee to uh, vote to approve this. Um, as the deadline is early January uh, for submissions of the town. Okay, is there any discussion from the committee? I assume that this is greatly in proportion to the 14% increase that's um, projected. So we process. will be having those conversations, um, but this is this is typically an annual um, okay. request. Okay. Okay. Hearing no other discussion, uh, I have a motion to approve the uh, increase in special education reserve account ATM article as written. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. for me, for zero. The ATM articles are approved as written. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Next on the agenda, E4. This is the appointment of our Director of Student Services. So. Superintendent Fulton, will you talk to us a bit about the candidate for the position? Absolutely. We welcome Ms. Megan Byrne to the podium, and uh, it is with great excitement and great confidence that I recommend uh, Ms. Megan Byrne as our next Director of Student Services. 
As you know, she's our current interim director of student services and has been in the district for over seven years, uh, serving as a, a team chair at JFK. She's been a special educator in another district. Uh, she has a business background. Uh, I just want to share with you that uh, we know that this is a very important public-facing uh, position. It was important that we went through the interview process. She uh, was a shining star through that interview process, emerged as the finalist, clear-cut finalist, and we had a great day in the district meeting everyone around uh, the schools. Uh, I will tell you that when we had uh, some of the opportunities for the public and our staff to meet her, we, I was on a morning, very early morning call, and we had a number of parents uh, that have worked with Ms. Byrne, and they really jumped on the call to sing her praises. Um, and we had a parent who really hadn't known her very well, uh, and the first thing that parent said, this gives me great reassurance. Um, because it is, you know, our highest need children. Um, we we uh, know that for the families, uh, there's uh, many relationship buildings and levels of trust that need to exist uh, with the person in this role. Uh, and to see that articulated with families that have worked with Ms. Byrne was quite heartening. Uh, and it was so authentic and, and genuine. Um, it was really nice. In the evening, we had staff attend, and we had a number of staff attend simply to sing the praises once again of Ms. Byrne that have worked with her in the district in various roles and capacities. <coughs> um, so that was quite uh, telling. For those of us that work with her every single day, none of it was surprising. Um, and I can tell you uh, on behalf of the team, uh, she is a joy and has, has been a wonderful leader within our team. Uh, she can speak about student services and special education and what is best for children, but she's a pure educator and a, and a great leader in our district and can really speak with confidence to many, many issues. When Megan talks, Ms. Burns talks, we'll certainly listen. And <laughs> she makes us laugh. Um, and sometimes when she gets going on things, uh, we had a, a session, a meeting the other day where she, she just had to get a lot out on the table. And I went to her and I said, that's why you're going to be phenomenal in this role. Because you're so passionate about it, you're so thoughtful, and there was vision embedded in that. Uh, and it was all about what was right for kids. Um, so on top of that, I, I would say uh, that she is also deeply respected within the educator ranks. Um, we know that for sure. And that's important as well, uh, because there's so many conversations and accommodations, modifications, and understandings that need to happen. There's so many roles and elements that weave into the life of all of our educators uh, for student services. So there needs to be that uh, ability to listen at a high level, ability to, to know what is best, uh, to collaborate well, and to have trust and relationship. You've heard me say that time and time again. Parents say that, staff say that. We, as an as a educational team, need that. Uh, personally, every time that I talk with this <coughs> um I am so struck by the fact that she has this background in business, and a big part of the position has to do with understanding the, the nuances and the finances involved with this. Um, she's before you today uh, as a school committee appointment because there's so many fiduciary responsibilities embedded in the role. She does that incredibly well uh, when she works with Mr. Marshall. He comes away with that sense of understanding that he has a partner in uh, the financial elements. I come away with someone who knows the law incredibly well uh, and the nuances of past <laughs> relationships with both families, attorneys, advocates, uh, people at DESE as well. Um, 
And then on, a, on the other, on the final end, uh, <coughs> we're, we're talking about someone here who has just this incredible uh, ability to connect with fellow educators and bring out the best in them. Uh, and then also have this incredible expertise around <coughs> teaching and learning and meeting the needs of kids uh, across everyone, which is paramount in our district. Uh, so for that to happen um, and for me to have that feeling of this is someone who is serving our district so well, it gives me great, great confidence. Um, her personality is the right fit. Her values are the right fit. Um, her love for kids. For me, she checks all the boxes. She has expertise for this position. It, she's going to be new to the position, but to me, she's already a veteran in the role. She's been ascending this way. Um, it's so I have these proud moments of working with people and seeing them uh, rise to these occasions and have these moments, and it's a really proud moment uh, to be with here, to be here with you, and to to really uh, put forward Miss Byrne as a strong recommendation on behalf of the team and the community for the director of student services. So, thank you. Going. I'm gonna have to keep on going until <laughs> yeah, our chair returns. I mean, I could just say, but while we're waiting, um, yes. thank you all so much for this opportunity. Um, I can't believe I'm in my seventh year in Canton, uh, and I'm really just looking forward to continuing the work. Um, it's, there's nothing better than walking through the middle school and high school and seeing students that I had when they were small at the JFK and getting the opportunities to work with families year over year. Um, and certainly um, partnering with our tremendous staff. So I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, I believe next year, I think the class of 2024 is my first group of fifth graders that I will see, um, you know, accept their diplomas. So that's really exciting. And, um, you know, as Mr. Follin said, this has been um, a tremendous, incredible journey for me as I've, um, you know, held different roles within the Canton schools. And um, I'm just, you know, ultimately incredibly grateful to all of you for this opportunity. and. Um, I have my historical perspective of Canton, but I also have uh, a pretty new, fresh, uh, refreshing vision, I think, on how we need to move forward, and I'm looking forward to that. So I'll help here while, okay. while we <laughs> wait. I know we can't vote yet, right? Wait for Ms. Miranda to come back. I hope she's doing okay. Uh, one thing that we heard through the process, which, um, you know, it was clear that Ms. Byrne uh, was the right person for the role, and we're excited mm -hmm. about that. but. There was a number of folks who uh, did not know her um, and really wanted to know her and felt that, that that was important. So when we talked a little bit after that finalist day, we said, well, you know, the, the first thing that needs to happen is we need to set some meet and greets mm -hmm. and to make sure that folks that want to know you uh, before you sit, sit at the table, welcome back. Sorry about that. Um, that we, we use the time for the remainder of the year to make sure that we set up some uh, ability to relationship build um, and for folks to get to know Ms. Byrne and even myself a little bit so um, can I add to that opportunity yeah please we had our first in-person CPAS meeting last night yeah. since uh, school shut down so that was really exciting I think it was our first in-person one and um, we had some new families joined. we didn't have a huge number of uh, participants so definitely uh, a public call to attend our next event in January coming up where we have a um, presenter coming in to talk to our families about AAC but it was really great um, we had coffee and treats that the students in our 18 to 22 program had made uh, for parents and it was just a nice way to connect and um, for there was no real you know formal agenda it was just um, opportunities to maybe understand or meet some people that you don't interact with on a daily basis and it was really positive so thanks to um, Anna and Lauren for, for hosting that event it was really nice.
All right. I'm sorry. I just missed the discussion. <laughs> I did want to say something before I had my coughing fit, and this is sorry. Just the weather, and now four weeks of whatever. <laughs> dry eyes and dry, dry throat. Um, I just wanted to say I uh, have been number one. I re this really impressed with your background. Your resume is fantastic. It's wonderful to have a person with all of your skills and knowledge coming to us with this position, and then we doubly have the benefit of you having been in the district and tried out the role and not just done it but um, as far as I can understand not just from what we heard tonight but just in general conversation and so forth you know really um, uh, not just the relationships but it sounds like uh, some problem-solving um, innovative generally collaborative um, skills that uh, we really have uh, wanted and needed uh, in a position like this. And so I, um, I'm glad, even though I, I'm sorry in, you know, in advance that maybe you had to do a little extra work as part of the, the process, but the, the chance to not only pressure test the fact that we had the right person, but I mean, we, we've known all along, um, but this just triply confirms that, that um, we are in my mind, uh, really quite lucky to have you, a person like you, and uh, a person who, uh, like I said, not only has hit the ground running seven years ago, but now is really um, positioned to do terrific, terrific work in a, in a, in a role that has so, affects so many family and has so many staff. I don't think people really fully understand the importance of this job, and so glad to have you in it. Any other discussion? Yep. Here I go. Again. I've been so impressed since I met you at JFK <laughs> days. So very happy for you and very happy for us to have you here. All right. Okay. Well, with that, if there's no other discussion, I'd like to um, call for a vote of approval to appoint the Director of Student Services contingent on, or, is it approval? Yeah, contingent on successful yep. negotiations. Yep. Or to enter into negotiations. To, and to enter into negotiations for a contract with the superintendent. Yes. So I hear that motion. Yes. I will second. Thank you. All in favor? Aye. It's an aye for me, 3-0. No, I'm going to vote nay. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're so going to vote nay? Two, yeah, so it's just some two one. Oh, okay, okay, so excuse me, I'm so sorry, I, I get what you're saying now. So, we have two in favor, one opposed, and the vote in the end is split to one vote. But the, the motion is approved. All right, thank you very much. Thank you very much. We're thrilled to have you. Okay. So the next item on our agenda is a Discussion of the October 1st enrollment and data review. That is item E5. Mr. Marshall, do you have that data to review with us? I do, thank you. Um, so I have uh, provided a variety of um, different uh, information charts. Um, I think this is, I provided a very similar in nature um, last year. I uh, apologize that 
when PDFing the document, I think the formatting um, was a little off. So there's some uh, <laughs> writing that starts on the cover page at the bottom. Um, so my apologies uh, for that. Um, but so as of October 1st, um, this year, our K-12 enrollment uh, was 3,130 students. That's a decrease of 19 students over um, the prior year. Um, if we look at the last 10 years of enrollment, um, we've never exceeded um, a difference of 100 students um, over the prior year in, in those 10 years. So, uh, you know, our enrollment has remained um, relatively flat um, over those 10 years. And our projections are that our enrollment will um, continue to remain relatively flat um, uh, for the future. I've provided a few charts um, from DESE uh, that show the percentage um, of uh, um, our race and ethnicity, um, our enrollment by gender, um, and then our uh, enrollment of selected populations, um, which show um, students whose first language is not English, uh, students who are English language learners, um, our low-income students, uh, students with disabilities, or students with high needs, um, and all of those are compared to the state. Um, projections for the next uh, year indicate a small increase of eight um, students uh, to 31-38. Again, look, these are K-12. Uh, this does not take into consideration pre-K. Um, our methodology takes into consideration data from uh, NESDEC. Um, there was a demographic study by McKibben um, done in 2017, and then we um, evaluate just historical trends um, in order to um, project out our enrollment. Five-year projections through 27-28 show overall district enrollment declines in four of the five years. Um, overall, those declines are small uh, with a projected change of 64 students over those five years. Um, again, we work with our town partners um, in just understanding what might be coming. Um, if there are any large developments um, uh, that are in the pipeline, um, are very important for us to understand and know well in advance, um, especially considering um, some of our overcrowding at the elementary school level um, at this time. Um, provided, again, uh, uh, multiple years of data um, by grade level. You can see elementary totals, middle school, high school totals, um, and then the changes. Um, you can also see um, our out of district um, totals uh, for students that are out of district. We then break that down further by uh, the individual school levels. And um, towards the end, I've provided uh, class size statistics for um, our elementary grade rooms, um, and then also into our uh, middle school and high school. So really at the elementary school level, um, we are, looking anywhere between 18.3 um, to 21.8 average um, class sizes with Hanson, um, you know, having our, our largest class sizes. Um, the Hanson district is the district that we need to look at closely in terms of the future um, and overcrowding um, so that we can really work to um, equally distribute our students throughout the district uh, to minimize some of those uh, class sizes. I've provided the school committee class size guidelines 
Again, those guidelines um, are not hard and fast rules. Uh, there needs to be a reasonable amount of flexibility, um, and we continually change with, uh, with movements of students. Our distribution of class sizes um, at both the middle school and the high school, uh, we've broken these down. Um, so we have very few um, classes that are operating with less than um, 11 students. Uh, a majority of our class sizes at both the middle school and high school um, are between 11 and 19, which is where we want them to be. Uh, we do have a number of class sizes that are between 20 and 24. At the high school, um, we have 31 classes right now that have between 25 and 30 students, um, but we do not have any uh, classes that are over 30. Um, last year we did have, I believe, one um, Spanish class that was over 30, um, and so uh, we're happy to see that we have um, worked on that, and we will continue um, to work on class sizes at the high school. Um, which again, I think through budget, uh, we'll be having some more conversations as to, to possibly how um, there might be some things happening at the high school to help. Um, and then lastly, uh, we've provided uh, just a breakdown um, by department um, of uh, the breakdown of, of class sizes at both the middle school um, and the high school. And uh, again, that world languages, um, you know, at the high school because of the way the schedule is created, uh, you know, we have heard that uh, it, it creates um, some challenges in terms of class size, and so how can we um, accommodate some of that uh, is something that we will be continuing to look at moving forward. And I'm happy to answer any questions um, regarding enrollment. All right, this, is, uh, this breakdown is really very, very helpful. Appreciate the extra effort and um, transparency. And some of the, con the content, uh, really helpful. Let me ask, because I've been talking first quite a bit, if the school committee has any discussion or topics. One raise. question. <coughs> in terms of, and it's probably in here, sorry if I look more closely, but um, gauging the enrollment, are you taking the, the size of the graduating class versus the incoming uh, kindergarten size? Like, how do you balance that? How do you compare it year to year? Yeah, so we, um, so a lot of our kindergarten projections and incoming projections are through NESDEC. Um, the McKibben study gave us some of that, but um, that data is expiring because they just did five out years, so um, that, you know, we're at the end of that now. Mm -hmm. um, but so we used, we can tell by the McKibben study um, how accurate those numbers were, and I can tell you that I don't know a single school district anywhere that accurately projects incoming kindergarten students. It is nearly impossible. Right. NESDEC uses primarily birth um, data, um, and uh, that's not always in a, in, a, in a community where you see a lot of move-ins. Um, that's not always the best data um, because you have families um, right. that are that are moving in, and so we take uh, a combination of, of information and data that we have to project our kindergarten, and then outside of that, we are really just moving the the grades forward. Um, so grade two last year becomes grade three this year in terms of a projection, and then we take into considerations 
potential move outs, not mm -hmm. necessarily people moving, but leaving the district for different reasons, where we see that um, sometimes between six and seven, um, and then we see that going into high school. Um, and so we, we use that to make some adjustments um, to our overall projections. Okay, and that 19 that um, from last year, I assume that was probably mostly the, or the decrease, um, as you mentioned, six, seven, and then going into high school, and is that, kind of par for the course on other years, like around 19? Just trying to see if this trend. It is in our incoming K this year um, was nine students less than last year. Okay. So, um, so that was, that's part, um, and then, uh, and then move outs is, is, uh, is really, so like that, it, it's 10 students. Um, when you take into, you take the nine out of the equation, it's um, you know there's potentially ten students that left the district. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you very much. So okay. I want to talk about class sizes mm -hmm. and um, just looking at the high school. I know we mentioned world language because that's certainly some place that we've heard about larger class sizes, mm -hmm. but I'm also looking at mathematics. Yeah. Is an, is is really the, the biggest, and followed by history and social sciences, then world languages. So when we start discussing this in um, finance, I assume we'll be trying to tackle those larger class sizes across the subject areas? Yeah, so um, we'll be talking about it as a whole, but then okay. in, in, you know, potentially some of the fixes are individual departments. Okay. Um, math is actually our lowest average mm -hmm. yeah. um, at 17.9, um, so we have we have the most we have the most number of classes mm -hmm. that are between 25 and 30 mm -hmm. but if you but the average class size in math is actually our lowest okay. um, and so again how does why is that is mm -hmm. some of the what we need to dig into mm -hmm. um, and I think Maureen your comment is more towards trying to address those classes that are 25 to 30 exactly. and not exactly. necessarily trying to reduce the average. No, 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 just to yeah. get, how do we deal with mm -hmm. those bigger sizes? Yeah. Okay. And one of, the, one of the elements to that, you know, Mr. Sperling didn't go into it, but he has a proposal um, to, to move more toward uh, semesterizing and consolidating um, and strengthening the schedule. And having done this for so many years, your schedule can pop and, and essentially create some larger class sizes mm -hmm. and in the sense of we want to accommodate students first, like the classes that they want to. There's some places that like cap it and like that's it, you gotta take something else. We have the idea that we're gonna make it work and because of that sometimes you have, you might have a class that's 17 and another one that's 26, um, just how mm -hmm. the schedule pans out. So uh, that's an important element. I, I think class size is such a such a priority, happy to talk about it. I know at the high school level, sometimes it's a, it's a little bit of a nature of scheduling more than staffing. Can I ask a follow-up to that? Um, or it's, and I, and I, I think I know the answer, but how much of the basic, so there is the goal to try to have optimal class size, lower, ratios of teachers and students, faculty and students together in the classes. How much um, of, of the, the sizes um, of classes, at least in our current model and projection, population projection trajectory, 
um, are affected by spacing concerns, meaning do we have unused spaces or is there, are there better, how much comes into that in terms of better utilizing space to then be able to host another class or um, use a space differently so that you could possibly bring on another faculty member at that time. It, does space um, so, constrain us? So at the elementary level, space is the physical space is the largest um, constraint and concern. Um, at the secondary level, I think the class size is more scheduling based um, and where we're able to be more flexible with the space that we have um, in order to accommodate something different um, where it's not as easy at the elementary level where students are not transitioning as much. Um, so a, a classroom is a classroom and, and most of the day that classroom has students in it. So you mm -hmm. don't have as many spaces that might free up um, to potentially use and you need a space at the elementary level for that entire day where you're not looking at it for a block. Yeah, right. um, and so that is that really is um, the challenge um, at the elementary level. Uh, you know, the other piece is, is really budget and, and, um, and adding of staff, uh, which can present itself to be a challenge. So I think we've been creative in our ways. Um, we've seen this just in, in my short time here in just a bubble classroom, right? Just adding a fifth section at grade two in two of our elementary schools. Um, Proved to be a challenge to find space. Um, if we need to do that again, uh, it only gets harder. And then typically what happens is you start asking um, uh, a teacher to start working off of a cart. I mean, that's really, I, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where you, you become traveling um, in some way, and, and that's typically a specialist um, that, that has to operate in that way. So that's not. Um, what we want to do, uh, it's it's not great. Um, if we have to do that, that's that's something that we look at, but it's it's certainly not um, it's not where we start. Yeah, no, and it just speaks to the complexity of this because it's the the creative use of space, whether it's a library or some other place, and um, it's not it's not as simple as um, snapping fingers and lowering ratios. We have to really. Um, you have to really work through that. And so anyway, um, thank you. And certainly we'll be thinking about that when we do our MSBA work <laughs> and what the classrooms of the future will look like. And actually, that was the only other comment I could make is that this these projections look fantastic. But I suppose we in our district, when the time comes and we do have a new Galvin, maybe we will have a bump in enrollment um, or at least a loss in decline. <coughs> uh, you would think we might anyway, just because we're successful in our goals and our mission. Um, but with that new school, we may retain students longer because they want to be part of yeah. that shining new. Yeah, it's part of the, the feasibility discussion. Place. Right, it's part of the feasibility. These numbers are important. Like one of the things we had to have some certified projections of enrollment. Mr. Marshall mm -hmm. did a great job. Yeah, you know, they went through their auditing team, but it, it's part of the conversation. You know, New Galvin Middle School, part of our statement of interest, and in, and in how can it be? widely impactful even beyond the middle grades and how can it alleviate um, some of the pressure points and we are maxed out in space greatly in our elementary levels and they're making it work. Um, I love that we, we live in a district here where class size is a priority and I think there's room to even get better. I mean the, these are, are strong in comparison to other communities and it's a priority and 
will staunchly support it because the research tells us that class size will matter. Um, it matters for teacher retention, for high-level teaching, learning, and leading. All of those <coughs> factors are, are a big deal. Um, sometimes space limitations, and mm -hmm. you know, the, we've added teachers even this current year beyond you know some budget cycle to meet the needs of students and to, to have students that enroll maybe late in the year. Um, so we want it to be a hallmark of our community, but I think it's something, especially looking at Hanson and enrollment there, we're yeah. um, gonna do some strategic planning about how we handle that. Terrific, this is really quite eye-opening, thank you. All right, if there is no other discussion, then we will move on to the next item on our agenda. That is E6, our district goal update. And so we have uh, an update now on priority number three, goal number one, and from Superintendent Bowen. Yeah, absolutely. So the action step is, uh, thank you, and uh, Mr. Fogel is coming back to the podium to, to help out here. Uh, the action step was for involved building leaders to use data tools to inform their instructional leadership and decision making. Um, and I'm going to take a, a little bit of transition from when we talked about leaders. Leaders are not just administrators, they are educators. They're grade level leaders, instructional leadership team members. Uh, so one of the things here in this memo we kind of outline uh, in a few paragraphs just the steps that we've taken. A lot of it was talked about last week, or excuse me, last meeting. Um, and how we're using data to have some interactions uh, with our grade level teams, our at faculty meetings, at department head meetings, our in administrative meetings, uh, to make sure that everyone is well aware of it. Um, and Mr. Fogel can talk a little bit about how disaggregated uh, the data can be so that it, it serves the audience so well that he works with. And what's included in here um, is the scheduling that happens, being really intentional, and the different tools that he has provided. These are a number of screenshots that are available to folks. Um, and uh, he really wanted to make sure that you saw the variety of what this does and, and what it looks like in a teacher's life and an admin's life. Um, but I'll turn it over to Mr. Fogel just to add a little bit of uh, more depth to it. Sure, thank you, Mr. Fogel. Um, it, it's, it's a goal of mine to meet with as many folks as I can and to deliver to them what I could feel it would be important or to respond to their requests. Um, and, and as you see, it, it's a goal of mine to, once a day to meet with um, educators or specialists or department chairs um, to provide them with some answers to their questions or to give them some insight into some unit of study or to a forecast um, a specific theme or skill set. Um, that screenshot uh, with the calendar is, has been my schedule and who, who I've met with to deliver some products. Um, a lot of these screenshots represent about a third of what is in the entire catalog available uh, to, to, to our team. Um, the next page um, are screenshots of trend lines and MCAS performances. We can disaggregate by um, any school in the Commonwealth subject, student group, so we can use this to see trends, set goals. Uh, the next screenshot gives our uh, performance against specific standards and item descriptions, again, seeing where our strengths or areas of opportunity might exist. I then take this information and apply it to a multi-year trend so we can see where standards are historically you know, pretty successful for us. Um, we can see our performance against the state on that one. The next screenshot uh, gives some uh, 
early education benchmark data so we can disaggregate by the star assessment type, look at it by school, specific teacher, race, ethnicity, grade, special education status, and then mirror that against any other special or a selected population. Again, it, it's good for current performance. We can look back and see that student's individual progression from previous years, and we can use it to perhaps set some um, goals or predictions in the future. And you'll see that screenshot just a moment. <coughs> uh, the next screenshot is an example of our uh, student schedules at the high school. We can look at any particular course or a teacher's course load or a student's course. Uh, we can look at it by content specific, so we can get class sizes, ratios. Mm -hmm. uh, we can see who's enrolled in which classes and again use it to know where we currently are uh, in our programming and our standing and perhaps set goals uh, based on you know current revelations um, the next screenshot is just a, a grade level reveal math uh, we could see the performance on their first unit benchmark exams um, i know that this is uh, it was recently used in one of the faculty meetings at the elementary school I trained one of the math specialists on what this reveals and how to extract information, and they went right back to all of their teachers and delivered just this. Like We are really scoring well in numbers in base 10. Um, operations and algebraic functions could be an area of focus moving forward, and specifically when we apply those to number lines. So something like that. Mm -hmm. um, the next screenshot is discipline data. This is historic. So we can look at uh, what's not pictured there, but you can disaggregate by student uh, selected population, school year, type of infraction, um, frequency of it, how often, by day, month, and you can see either student specific, um, infraction specific. So you can really, <coughs> again, look at that, see historical trends, how we're currently functioning, and then use it again to either make some, uh, implement some changes to mitigate or reduce some of these infractions, and to set goals and um, measure the effectiveness of those. The next screenshot is uh, some middle school um, document-based question performance. So really targeting some written expression, which is a goal for uh, a number of our departments based on, again, historical data. Uh, and we can see uh, you know, how students are doing based on the specific um, component of that written expression, so this is argumentative, so are they effectively deploying evidence in their writing, are they um, explaining it with great detail, are they opening it with a claim, and we can see who's successfully doing that repeatedly, and if you, you know, click on the, the red section in reasons, you'll get the students who are not successfully demonstrating their writing within, you know, great depth in, in their reasoning. Again, all of these are disaggregatable uh, by teacher, block uh, period in the school day, grade level, student specific. Um, the next screenshot is absenteeism data. So we can see, you know, again, you can filter it by uh, student specific, grade level, where are we um, seeing absences by day, absence reason, um, time of day. You can see the, you know, the, the patterns for specific grade levels or students or groups of students so that we could really try to mitigate, you know, miss school days once we've identified the pattern <coughs> and, you know, launch some mitigating factors. Um, the next screenshot, that's a tree heat map with letters. Some of uh, our colleagues and I participate in some Wordle competitions. And so I want Canton folks to have an advantage. So 
This particular tree map um, displays the frequency each letter has been used since the game has um, developed, and then how often the selected letter, so you click on that tree map, and you'll see how often that selected letter uh, appears in each position of the five-letter word. So if they are stuck, they go back to this table here, and they have some statistical support to help them beat up on our, our Stoughton rivals or the, the Milton rivals, Can the, I pause the, the Wordle League that we play in. <laughs> What's that? May I pause for a moment? I asked him when I saw this in here, what, what, what is this? And th there's an element here where um, <laughs> Mr. Fogel has incorporated data into some of our staff newsletters and or fun elements for kids. And um, it may be, I, I, I'm like, what, so what, what is this? What did it, he, he loves to have fun with that and loves to kind of bring these things forward. And I think there's a, a cultural piece, right, with regard to data that it, one of the things we talked about when it had tried to be introduced in the past, it can kind of make you pause, right, as an educator or in any, any field of life, like your data. He has found different ways to sort of bring data and associate it with joy and a little bit of fun. Right. So he's incredibly funny. He loves to inject these things just to make sure people are paying attention. He does it with us uh, in our meetings and he does it with the staff and it kind of allows people in uh, so as they look deeper a little bit. So congratulations to you. Thanks. Yeah, I think, it, I think we'll this all be is starting our wordle with altar. I know, right? Altar will be the way we start from I, now I, on. I mean, right? you're going to land altar. some okay. yellow letters with that frequency, statistically supported. <laughs> Kudos uh, to you. Yeah, and, and we're winning in our league too. So yeah. I, I like to think this has a good reason for that. Um, the next screenshot is our literacy hub that continues to expand given the curriculum-based measures um, that students participate in, and we, again, we can look at it by teacher-specific, grade-specific. Mm -hmm student trends. Uh, the next screenshot is just a forecast, uh, a regression model forecast. We can see scaled scores over time by student or grade level, class specific, and um, we can statistically support where our goal setting metrics can be, what bound we should really stay in within our goal setting uh, methodology, and um, kind of have an analysis of what, where students' trends are headed. The next screenshot is a report card snapshot, so we can see how students are doing after term one, what classes students are uh, succeeding in, and what classes students might need a lecture support in, and we can get an immediate student roster based on just course grades. What we've done with that is we then braided that roster with um, you know, benchmark <coughs> performance or standardized test performance, so we can see that roster is not, not performing exceptionally well in this course, and here's the themes or units of study that we think could help. Mm -hmm. yeah. And those are just uh, a number of items in the catalog available to a variety uh, of our teachers and leaders um, that are constantly live and updated as information comes in and as a new tool is developed. Um, I, I bring the folks around um, and we help them learn how to use the tool how to identify some of the findings and brainstorm plans of action after that. Fabulous, thank you. Um, in consulting, what you just delivered is what we like to call, in, uh, call the thump factor. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to um, process here. And the, the first thing that, I, that, that there's a lot to process is how much you are processing in terms of the amount of data and how fast you got up to speed and online with all of this. Um, How'd you do it? Don't answer that question. I'm sure you'd go on for months. But it's mind-boggling to think about 
um, the various systems that had to be sort of brought online to be able to get this kind of information in, in so many ways. Um, point I wanted to make uh, is just also um, how fortunate we are in the district to have you in this position because you so um, naturally understand the, the point about the qualitative, you know, helping um, bring to life the quantitative. And uh, if we had, and you would think, a person who is excellent at data and quantitative analysis um, in a position, they might be locked in their office. But your, your point about your focus on getting outside of that office every single day and making sure that the data is usable, comes alive, and can be integrated is really quite uh, powerful for us. And I, you know, it, it, and I hope po folks watch the, the portion of this, this meeting and, and see what you have to um, share because I think that the notion of a district data uh, manager is one that was foreign to a lot of folks and there's lots of discussion over the years about whether or not we would um, need one and could use one in the district and, and you know what does that lead to in terms of a maybe over focus or emphasis on the data as a um, as a maybe a punitive measure or something else and really uh, what you're doing is is showing just how much more learning we can be doing that does improve our teaching and our leading. And so um, grateful that it is you in this role no, and that you're you taking all of the extra steps that you probably wouldn't even need to, to do because folks may not be aware they could get all of that in one package. <laughs> but um, anyway, thank you for the intensity uh, of your work, not only to get the systems up and running, but then to get it out. Um, into the hands of all of our staff and faculty throughout the district because that is how we're going to be able to scale change okay. in a big, fast way. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm hoping um, that I can help uh, accelerate that, that change. And, um, and, I, and I love this. I, I really do. Um, and and um, I'm going to continue to find ways to expand and, and get out there and give the, uh, our teachers and the experts what they need to help their work. That's crystal clear. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? So impressive as always. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. The next item on our agenda is E7, and now we're talking about our superintendent professional improvement goals. Uh, yes. And there are a few here. Yeah. Thank you. The, this goal uh, specifically pertains to uh, developing uh, a stronger human resources component in our in our district, which we know is a a need. Um, so just to go through some of the action steps that are happening, um, one, develop a list of human resource activities that can be completed in the short term and establish long, uh, short and long term goals. So last year we, we put in for a generalist, we were not able to uh, get to the point where we had someone that we were going to hire for that role. We still had a lot of HR work to have happen. Um, it spread in, uh, in a collective way around our team. Um, but we had some specific projects that we wanted to get done and established. We knew that job descriptions in the faculty handbook and really looking at our organizational structure were really priorities. Um, so reached out to one of our strategic planners who also has levels of expertise in human resources. That's Dr. Pam Poole as our HR consultant. Uh, we have retained her services. She just wrapped up uh, working in Newburyport for the same role doing HR consultancy. Uh, 
and and, and with our district they have very similar challenges that we do uh, areas for improvement um, so she'll be coming uh, for the first time we've had many many discussions uh, she was the assistant superintendent of human resources for multiple years in Plymouth which have it's a very large district has two high schools uh, so she comes with that great deals of experience but also uh, I love her experience uh, in a practical way spent building principal and also now in the strategic planning realm uh, we come to her, uh, she's going to come on December 21st and really do a set of interviews with some of our key HR uh, personnel at this point in time to get a sense of their job and their scope. Uh, she's also working independently on those job descriptions and also the faculty handbook and, and doing that work. Um, you know, one thing that I thought was important, what I noted here uh, was, uh, again, as a veteran uh, in the central office realm, she said, First thing I'll tell you for these, these are documents that sort of touch everyone's lives and there's a decision-making element that lives at the central office level. But you want to involve your stakeholders and especially the your CTA leadership in this. Um, you know, so I reached out to our CTA leadership and let them know about uh, Dr. Gould coming and that they're going to have an opportunity to meet with her and collaborate and work uh, because that's what develops long-term elements, especially when you're talking about faculty handbook job descriptions. Uh, organizational structure is going to be uh, an evolving element and I'm excited about that and having that. Um, there's also uh, there's a couple of colleagues of ours in area districts which have really strong HR departments and uh, Dr. Gould and I are going to make appointments to go talk with them mm -hmm. because there's nothing better than best practice that has been tested through the years uh, and had found success so uh, we'll okay. be talking about that. Moving on to the next one, conducting interviews with designated staff and administration around organizational needs and possible structures and systems to provide stronger support for students and staff, operationalize best practices and fulfill strategic planning. So I've had some informal conversations with folks that have some ideas on, on what we can do organizationally, student services being one of them. Uh, the one thing that Dr. Gould and I have talked about is sitting down with a lot of these folks I've been in the district for a long time. It helps to have someone by my side that has the expertise but hasn't worked in Canton and can kind of give a fresh look. So we decided we were going to do that interviewing together. Um, she's also on the strategic planning team. So what she hears, she can apply as data to that goal setting and work that's happening. So that, and uh, just for, for the public to know, and we'll certainly um, talk about it a lot more because it's going to involve the community. But that long-term strategic planning uh, is going to be launched in January. Uh, we have a preliminary meeting on December 21st as well with that team, uh, and so more to come with regard to that. And then create a preliminary set of organizational plans in parallel uh, with the budget process to ident identify possible funding needs or budget neutral moves. So we're going to be going through the budget process. We have a finance subcommittee. There's going to be some things embedded in our budget that are some first steps to um, looking at things organizationally be it at a building level like the high school or possibly um, central office wise. Again, it, it's going to be in conjunction with Dr. Gould's work and, and I uh, to that. Uh, we are also working in conjunction with um, the officials of the town of Canton. Uh, we're all the town of Canton, but um, we have Jody Milton who's our HR director for the town. Dr. Gould will meet with her as well, talked with our town administrator Charlie Duty about some of the, you know, the needs and works. We have the greatest number of employees uh, in the town of Canton, um, and there's a, a strong understanding, um, even talking to select board, 
uh, Chair John Conley as well, just to kind of give the scopes and needs of how schools are evolving and um, just really to best serve the staff and have best practices in place. So that's an update on, on our work around the, the re human resources. I really like how we're trending. Uh, I think we will make some gains this year, but over the, the uh, period of time, we'll, we'll get to a much better place with our human resources works and structures. All right. This is becoming quickly. I mean, I, every part of this agenda is delighting me every day. I love coming here um, and doing this work. But uh, this section of the agenda, the district goals and the superintendent goals, I just um, am really uh, heartened by. Just thank you for the update. Uh, this is an area where we have definitely um, had some need and I think is going to have a fantastic effect overall. So thanks for the time and attention. and. Very exciting. Yeah, that's great. Any other commentary? Quick question. So how long will Dr. Gould be with us? Uh, through the remainder of this year. Okay. And is this part of the Teaching and Learning Alliance contract, or is this a separate contract? It's a separate contract. Separate. Okay. Yep. okay. And it's part-time. You know, okay. she's not, she's um, hourly basis. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we do some consultancy work, we have some parallel folks that we, we could work off of. Um, but it's, you know, it's going to be monitored and it's really um, the work on the particular projects. So The overlap so. should benefit us, yeah. hopefully, in yeah, theory. Absolutely. <coughs> Brilliant. Particularly that I heard that January start for strategic planning as well. So, we'll wonderful. Little, we'll know so many bonbons yep. in time for the holidays. All right, fabulous. Okay. So 8.25, we're ahead of time, and there is no public comment. So I'll move on to the next item on our agenda, which is G, the Director of Finance and Operations Report. An update for us, Mr. Marshall, on transportation? Yeah, just quickly, I just wanted to provide an update. Um, we had our introductory meeting with our transportation consultant last week, um, last Wednesday, uh, Rich Labrie. Um, so we have provided him a large amount of, of information. Uh, in coordination with him, I have put him in contact and authorized all of our vendors to provide him with any um, information that he has requested from them. Um, I can report back that he has already met with first student. Um, he has already received all of our routes um, in, um, in the software format um, that he can plug in um, and, and view and, and start to um, analyze. Um, so that work is, is well underway. Um, he's going to be reviewing all of our contract documents, both for um, yellow bus and van transportation, all of our bid documents um, to try to help us up, help us um, for any potential future um, bids and where we might be able to make some improvements in that process um, and contractually um, ensure that uh, we are protecting the district um, as much as possible in, in our contract documents. Um, he will review all of our um, yellow bus and van routes. Um, he's going to be looking at our ridership and the number of students that are on those routes. We do still have a few um, yellow bus routes that we would consider to be overcrowded. Um, those uh, specifically are middle school routes. I think there's two of them. Um, his uh, guidance is no more than 50 students should be on a middle school <coughs> bus. Um, so he's going to be looking at that um, early on. Um, you know, I've given him a few you know, what are still some hot topics that we need to try to get corrected immediately. Um, and uh, 
finally, uh, you know, through his work, he's going to do some analysis to try to align um, or what will it potentially cost us to align our elementary start times um, and provide some recommendations to us as to how that might um, look. And um, we expect a full report back from him by the end of February, early March uh, for uh, with all of this analysis. Um, one thing, will he also look at, I know some of ours have combined middle school, high school, and that's some of the that he's looking at as well because we do hear from parents that, you know, they have some questions. So would that be something he will tackle? He will look at that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, possible recommendation um, might be larger to, um, to, to tackle, um, okay. which could be a, a, a change in, in bell time schedules. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so that might be a recommendation that, uh, you know, it's either add X number of buses at this cost, or mm -hmm. adjust a time by five minutes mm -hmm. um, okay. to uh, eliminate that need. Um, I, you know, I'm just, right. uh, sure. you know, providing, um, you know, sure. a, a what if maybe mm -hmm. kind of scenario. But uh, we'll we'll see, um, you know, what comes out of that. But yes, we'll we'll be looking at that, and we'll also be um, specifically looking at the St. John's mm -hmm. routes. Okay. Um, we have. Um, like some middle school St. John's uh, students um, that are on elementary runs um, at times. Um, and so that is another um, area of concern that has been brought to us. So um, yeah, he will be analyzing all of that. Great. And then um, just not, not to glom on, but to say um, if he does have any recommendations or validation of our you know, operations structure, you know, maybe there's something to help improve. Yeah, so that is something that he's also looking at, right, our internal structures um, and how that complements um, our current vendors um, or doesn't complement enough our current vendors. Just and um, I, I know that he has some potential recommendations as to how that might look. Um, that can be done in one of two ways, adding staff or um, through the bid process contractually obligating a vendor to provide um, a different level of administrative support, um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a dedicated person, um, you know, for the town to be handling, you know, different things. So there's a couple different ways that we might look at at structuring um, something different, and uh, it'll be interesting to see um, those recommendations and how we might be able to utilize them. Perfect. And then the other thing, it's, and same thing, it's like maybe if, if it comes up, great. Just be interested to hear or learn validation or recommendations regarding discipline slash monitors maybe if there's a best practice yep. and either we're we're at it and this is it you know this is reality or is there something more so if it comes up and he does quite a bit of work in um one of those states that i um you know stated earlier Figured. that uh <laughs> is uh, you know where it's mandated um for monitors on elementary on every elementary um bus um in the entire state so uh he has, I think, some some recommendations as to how you know um, how that might uh, how we might use that. And again, same item. Uh, do we put this on a vendor, um, or do we do we hire staff ourselves? And, and how how might we look at that? Gotcha. Great. Great. Any other thoughts, comments? Okay. Hearing none. Anything else for your report? That is all I have to report. <coughs> okay. Wonderful. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so moving on to item H, our consent agenda. We have items on item one, the regular session minute from December 1, 2022, and the warrant dated December 16, 2022.
<clears throat> would any school committee member like to remove or discuss items on the agenda prior to taking a vote? Okay, hearing none, can I, do I hear a motion? So moved. Second. All in favor of approving the consent agenda as written? Aye. Aye for me, three zero. <coughs> the consent agenda is approved, sorry. I also have a pine tree for the first time in my house, so it's <coughs> equally challenging for my allergies. Okay, moving on to the next item on our agenda, that is I, the update of our subcommittee task force and liaison posts. Are there any up updates uh, on this side of the table? Yes, so uh, for policy, first of all, we met last week and we'll be <coughs> next week, and I say meeting virtually, mm -hmm. I Zoom. Um, and we were able to go through a lot of Section D, um, some remaining questions for <coughs> Mr. Marshall's review. I'm sorry. No problem. Um, so we'll be going over that, and we have the next meeting scheduled next week. Uh, Mr. Marshall, I don't know if you're able to, if you probably already, I'm sure, discussed this, if you'll be able to attend that meeting or if you're just going to have the conversations offline before that. We're going to go through the document. I mean, Perfect. If there's something that's nuanced, you can jump on, but I think it's, okay. I think just reviewing it's important. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's, the policy's a lot of, you try to avoid practice embedded in policy, right. but as we dug into it, it is, it is a matchup with um, a lot of our financial practices and how you know it best, so we need your eyes on it. Yeah, I've reviewed most of it, so we'll be meeting, we'll okay, go through perfect. it together and um, and we'll look at the side-by-side -side comparison with um, you know MASC policy and uh, I'll provide recommendations back. Perfect, and then um, hopefully next week we're able to wrap up D and move on to E and F, so we'll go from there. Um, content and communications, the ad, thank you for everyone's feedback about the ad um, that was submitted. I am not 100% sure, but I believe it's next week's paper, I think. If not, then hopefully the week thank after, you. but it's, it's there and, and live and ready. So, um, and we do have quite a few um, sections coming up for um, capped sections and similar to that in um, January, February, March. So um, I'll definitely, what is the best way, uh, Superintendent Fullwood, to, to talk with Principal Sperling about a possible um, graphic arts student or something assisting? What's the best route? Yeah. Should I? I'll shoot him a note just saying okay. that, that we kind of talked about it. And okay. Um, probably connect you on that email thread. And sure. He'll probably That's put great. you in touch with Ms. Palmer. Um, okay. So when I maybe need a student photographer for an event, I'll just kind of work that, that way. It's okay. great, kids will be fantastic. Very <coughs> helpful, because we have the parameters, we have the, all the examples from last year, and different info and everything for this year, but I think it would be great. Great okay. partnership that gives yeah. some real world experience for a student that enjoys graphic design and ad structure. Sure. I couldn't agree more, and they have access to terrific software. Right, exactly, that's the key Which thing. is the I'm limiting factor, right? That. It's very limiting, yes. yes. Um, okay, and CCPC, the, um, the pre-app um, window just opened the other day, which will be a couple of months long. Mr. Marshall's aware of it, we chatted about that. So, um, and then we have the next meeting coming up <coughs> in January, January 9th. That's all I have. Okay, wonderful, and MPIC met tonight. Hopefully starting in January, they'll have some dates that are not in conflict, but we appreciate all the work that committee is doing. And I have no other updates at this point. I'm also budget and finances meeting in the morning. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to report. 
Okay. Moving on to other business, item J. Are there any other topics not reasonably anticipated? Last 48 hours. All right. So that brings us to K, future business. The next open session meeting is scheduled for Thursday, January 5th, 2023 at 6 p.m. And with that, I'll say happy holidays to everyone. Can we get a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Tonight, 330. Good night, everybody. Again, happy holidays. Happy New Year.